get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tommy Edmonds a linchpin right now for this lineup. He is a leadoff hitter. He is your second baseman and de facto center fielder. And if you want Matt Carpenter to stay away from the field, Tommy Edmonds going to have a lot to Tommy do Tommy Edmonds is your new favorite player. So you're going to need Tommy Edmonds. That was BT yesterday on the fast lane with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Welcome into BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Tommy Edmonds. Oh boy, he is going to be the carpenter. He is going to be the electrician. Oh, he is going to that? be the garbage man. He carpenter? is going yeah. to be. What, what, why you got to throw his name into that already? He is going to be. 30 seconds in. Everything for the Cardinals in 2021. He's your starting second baseman. He's your backup shortstop. He's your backup third baseman. He's your backup center fielder. And I'm pretty sure, honestly, he's also your backup to both corner outfield positions as oh, well. I thought you were going to say backup to being Fredbird too, but backup to the catcher. Hell, he might be a backup to the pitcher if they need somebody to get some innings. He's also incredibly bright. And if John Mosellock and Gersh had to take a couple of days off, he could probably run the team for a few days. Okay. Guys, are they asking too much of Tommy Edmond going into this season? No, because I don't think he's the backup to a couple of those positions. Because otherwise, why are you putting Edmundo Sosa on this team? Don't tell me because he's Insurance. out of options. So, so. I'm sorry. I think I you think, knew the answer to the question that you asked me. No, what do you I, say? I think if Edmundo Sosa's on this roster, he's going to get a shot at shortstop if Paul DeYoung needs a day do off. Do you honestly believe that? I do. I do. Because otherwise, yes, you continue to use the phrase, well, he's out of options. Okay, but if he's out of options and you're not going to use him, throw him down in the minors and put T-Bones guy up here. But you can't. Yeah. You've got to run him through waivers and somebody else might pick him no. up. And the I, Cardinals I, don't want to risk it. The first day off for Paul DeYoung will be Edmundo Sosa. You want to put that on the board yeah, that the fast yeah, lane does? I'll put it on the board. What can we put on that? Is there a fan duel prop bet that I can get I'll using put it on the, the board right now? I will put it on the board right now. The first day off for Paul DeYoung will be Edmundo Sosa. Who starts at shortstop first? Tommy Edmund or Edmundo Sosa? Edmundo Sosa. 
Edmund. Tommy Edmond. Nope. I will <laughs> Who starts at third hey, base first? We, Tommy Edmond or Edmundo Sosa? Tommy Edmond. I would say Tommy Edmond. Uh, actually, Party I might say Carpenter. Carpenter. <laughs> I would say I almost might say Carpenter. Hey, we did the challenges on Ribs and BK, and they were directed at you. I will put a challenge out here right now that if Sosa doesn't start at shortstop for the first day, I will accept that challenge. Okay, deal. We'll figure put, it out, you two. We're putting that on layaway, and we will figure out what the challenge is going to be. I think it's possible they're putting a little too much on him. This is the first year that Tommy Edmond is going into a full 162 as a starter for the Cardinals. Think about that for a second. It's the first time that he's ever been asked to play a position for a full 162. And he's going to play that position, filling in for a gold glove winner at that position, a beloved player in Colton Wong. And oh, by the way, he's also your leadoff hitter. And if he doesn't end up working out at leadoff, boy, howdy, this team has some issues at the leadoff position because I don't know who fills in for him. I don't think they have a good backup plan now that Lane Thomas didn't even make the opening day roster. And I thought he was their second best option as a leadoff hitter going into the season. So second base leadoff hitter. He's your backup and center backup at short backup at third. I know what you're saying, Alex. It's wrong. Um, and so we'll see. He is going into this season as being, I called him the X factor at one point. He ain't the X factor. We did our 20 most important players for this upcoming season. He was way too low. I, we can go back on it now. He's one of the six or seven most important players going into the season at this point. Guys, I'm starting to think our list kind of stunk. <laughs> oh, it did stink. It's terrible. We had Lane Thomas up there. He didn't make it. Well, we didn't have Nagowski on that list. We didn't have Nagowski. We didn't have Verondone. He's going to play him. Alex part. Reyes was like, what, 19 on our list or something like yeah. that? Here's he didn't the, even make your list. He, no, that's that's not Things true, T-Bone. You're the one that did training, bad lists. All right, guys. <laughs> Here, no, but spring training doesn't matter, guys. It's yeah, what we that's always what he, that's say. That's what he says to me all the time in the office when he's got his cigar and his martini in the other hand. Every time, dude. Every, every time. time. By the way, you can't smoke in the building. Otherwise, I'm going to have to tell some people about yeah, that. Seriously. Here's my problem, though. You guys just made me sound like I was was a main character on Mad Men. Well, okay, <laughs> let's not compare yourself to John Ham, BK. Come on now. Come on now. Look, as much as we are, and I do believe there is some pressure on Tommy Edmond. His sole purpose, I think, for this Cardinals team, at least at the beginning, is second base. Yeah. He's the backup to the center field because right now, Lane Thomas didn't provide Barrison Bader's. Barrison, if I start comparing people again, I'm going to lose it. Bader is out. Justin Williams isn't going to be playing center field. Tyler O'Neill, they don't want to play center field. Edmonds, the backup because you don't have anybody else. But the plan isn't to, okay, well, we played four games in April. Let's give Carlson a day off so Edmond can go out there. I don't think that's what they're looking at right now. There's a lot of days off in April, which means they're going to be a lot of time for resting these guys. And hopefully by the time that Bader is back and... I mean, that's the only one. That's the only one. I was going to say KK, but Edmund's not pitching anytime soon. <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully when he is back, then we're not talking about this. But for right now, I think you have to label your backup, but it's not going to be your backup's going to be playing that position anytime soon. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This is a really interesting question from the 309. Guys, when does Tommy Edmund get a day off if he is the guy that fills in for everybody else when they get a day off? That's why I'm saying Sosa's going to be playing short. He doesn't get a day off. Tommy Edmund better be prepared to play a full 162. Wow. Like oh, maybe BK. Maybe <laughs> at some point during this year when Bader returns and if they have generated some level of faith that Matt Carpenter is okay. Tommy Edmund's like crawling up the 
stairs in the dugout. <laughs> Maybe He's then. using bats as crutches. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Uh, maybe then you get a day off if you're Tommy Edmond. But in the, for the foreseeable future, that dude is playing every single day. He has to be in the lineup. They don't have another option. He's a switch hitter. He's one of the very few guys that brings that to the lineup along with Dylan Carlson. He has the flexibility to play all over the lineup. He's a lineup rather. He's a plus defender all over the place. And all of this is kind of bringing up the point that Mike Claiborne told us yesterday, Alex. This roster is a little thin on the back end. It's a team that doesn't have a lot of room for error. Uh, It's very thin. Uh, We have a lot of unproven players in the outfield. You've got a question at shortstops. Other than that, you know, your bench is kind of so-so. Your starting pitching on the back end is going to raise a question mark after John Gantz. This is a very thin team to start. I think they'll obviously assess it during the course of the season, and I'm willing to venture that what you see now is certainly not what you're going to see in September. Did Klebs just use your yeah, he said your, the bench is your so nickname? so. He, he is indeed correct. The bench is so so because so so is on it. Um, they they're in a situation right now where if you do look at the back end of the bench, the back end of the roster as a whole, frankly. It is a little light. It is a little lacking of proven players that you feel going into the year really good about. I love John Nagowski. We've never seen him do it at this level. Uh, Matt Carpenter, while he has proven things in the past, there is not a whole lot, a whole lot of track record recently to indicate that that is going to go well for him this year. Edmundo Sosa has never proven anything at the big league level other than defensively. Man, you look at positions like 10 through 13 on this roster. Justin Williams, who is a starter for this team. I'm high on the Cardinals going into 2021. I still think they're going to win this division. I think they are probably the fourth best team in the National League. There are a whole lot of questions deeper down on the roster that they have to answer. This is not your typical Cardinals team. The Cardinals typically come into the season feeling really good about position players like eight through 17, but there's some questions about the top end of the roster, at least of late. That's been the case this year. You feel really fantastic about position players like one through five. And then you have a ton of questions beyond that. The depth on this team is going to be one of the single biggest storylines of the year coming into the season. To me, it's always been this way. There's three question marks or there's three. There's three permanents at position for this team. And there's one area that's permanent for this team. The area is the bullpen. I'm not concerned about that. The three position players are Yachty, Goldschmidt, and Arenado. Other than that, everywhere else has question marks. And we knew that going into this season. But I think now it's starting to get a little bit more apparent by the roster being put together. Because the answers that were given in spring training are not what was expected. I think that's part of what goes into this, right? We we thought going into spring training, well, the obvious answer, if Harrison Bader were to go down or anything, well, Lane Thomas is just going to win that job. We've been hearing about him now for three years. This is his opportunity. They cleared the runway. Now it's time for takeoff. Well, the, the plane broke down. It's off to the side of the road right now, and the runway doesn't exist any longer for Lane Thomas, at least to start the season. And that is a huge piece to all of this. Matt Carpenter, we were hoping that going into spring training, hey, maybe he shows signs of improvement. Well, he was one of the worst hitters down at Grapefruit League, so that certainly did not happen. Hey, maybe Edmundo Sosa, he, he's going to show a little something after coming off of what was a pretty good uh, winter for him. Nope, not a whole lot going on offensively for him either. So-so. 
there's just not a lot of answers for the guys that were on the back end of your roster that you were hoping to get positive signs about. And so it comes back to Tommy Edmond. He's your leadoff hitter. He's your second baseman. He's going to, if you need somebody in a pinch in center field, he's the guy that's going to do that. If you need, in my opinion, a day off, it's shortstop or third. I think it's going to be Tommy Edmond that's filling in there. If you don't want to see Matt Carpenter in the lineup, Tommy Edmond is the guy that you need to hit. That dude is certainly the linchpin to everything that the Cardinals want to accomplish offensively going into 2021. Uh, I hate to say it, and I know people are going to hate it, but Carpenter's going to get some of those shots too. I mean, the way that they ended camp, how Mike Schilt talked about Matt Carpenter of, you know, he's making contact, he's looking better, his exit velocity is better. This is a guy that at least hearing the manager talk about isn't going to be on the bench for the entire season. He's going to be getting opportunities in different spots. It's not going to be depth chart of, well, Tommy Edmonds everywhere. Then it's Sosa. Then it's Carpenter. No, I think it's Edmonds got his positions. Carpenter's got his positions. Well, yeah. Who do you think's playing second base while Tommy Edmonds at in center field? It's not Edmundo Soso. Tommy Edmund won't be in center field, BK. Okay, well. the, the good news for the Cardinals is that they have four off days in the first month. Each one, they have an off day each week of the first month of the season. So that's that's going to be important. I think that's where you can see Edmund, where he could play legitimately 28 or no, 26 of 26 games. So I, I think that is my expectation going into the first month of the season would be that he plays every single day and he might play five positions in that first month. That That is how important he is to what the Cardinals want to do this year. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up at 1130, super excited about this. Doc Emmerich is going to join the show. He was a huge fan of Bobby Plager. So we're going to ask him for his favorite Plager story coming up at 1130. I also want to ask him about keeping a Stanley Cup window open. That is something that the Blues are trying to accomplish right now. He has seen this league for 50 years. What are some of the themes for the teams that were able to keep that window open? We'll talk to Doc Emmerich about that coming up at 1130. It's 1115. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, speaking of keeping that cup window open, a big part of that is Jordan Bennington's play. How would you assess his recent play? We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The goal, the goal against, the tying goal against, you know, we had opportunities twice to probably take the body on the guy, and we didn't. And, you know, in my opinion, it's, you know, like just not a good goal. That was Craig Berube after the game on Sunday, I guess it would have Sunday, been. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Sorry. All right. Um, the Blues lost that one. They didn't play particularly well. They lost two in a row against the Anaheim Ducks. That's one you'd certainly like to get back. And he was talking specifically about one of the goals that were let in. And Alex, I know we had a little bit of different takeaways on that quote from yeah. Craig Berube. But one of the things we have not talked a whole lot about is Jordan Bennington. Because the number one storyline for the Blues in this recent these recent struggles has been their inability to score goals. That is certainly a big part of the story. It is not the only part of the story, though. How would you assess the way that Jordan Bennington has played of late? Not great. Um, you know, the reason I, I was so taken back by Craig Bruby's comments on Sunday was that comment, but then he went on later and he talked about how it's impossible to play mistake-free hockey. Yep. And he kept touching on that. 
And the more I'm thinking about that is what he's saying is this team cannot play a style of hockey that doesn't have any turnovers in it, right? Like you're going to have turnovers at some point. The problem that they're running into is when those turnovers occur, those are the goals that go in. Jordan Bennington may stop 35 of 37 shots, but those two that go in come off of turnovers, which yes, you can't have turnovers, but they're also goals that cliche the goalie would like to have back. And when guys say that, it's because, well, they weren't the best goals that beat the goaltender there. If you just watch Jordan Bennington, really from... The middle of February, I think once those games against the Arizona Coyotes happened, things started to go south a bit for Jordan Bennington because those were the games that they were 2-1, 1-0. He was in there. He was kept keeping the team in the game. But from that moment on... You know what the next one was? The next game for him? What was it? It was when he had the furious... Against the San Jose Sharks. off the ice. And then if you look at it, it's been three goals given up, four goals given up, three goals given up. It's been a very rare occurrence that Jordan Bennington has given up two goals or less since that moment. He's given up an average of three goals per game. He is two, seven, and three since then. If you look at his month-by-month breakdown, and I always go by save percentage, just what I told you guys a couple a couple weeks ago. Nine eighteen in the month of January, he was five one and one. Saw a total of two hundred and eight shots, but he allowed seventeen goals. It's really good. It's really good. February three five and one. He had a nine oh one save percentage, about league average. Saw two hundred and sixty two shots. Teams allowing a lot more shots, but he allowed more goals. Twenty six goals given up. In the month of March, he's two four and three with a eight ninety two save percentage. That's not Jordan Bennington, and it all comes down to body language for me. It comes down right. Jamie Rivers always talks about that. If you watch Jordan Bennington, he's not aggressive in between the pipes. He's not at the top of his crease. He's not challenging those shots. He gets deeper into his crease when the puck is in the zone. Yes, the turnovers cannot happen. Yes, the guys cannot continue to allow this many high-danger scoring chances. But if you look at the medium-danger scoring chances, which is charted by hockey reference, he's bottom half. That's the problem. It's those shots that are going in between the pads. They're bouncing off of his shoulder. They're going top shelf on him when his pads aren't punched against the pipe. It's just not the same Jordan Bennington. By no means do I believe that he is the sole reason this team is struggling, but he's part of it because when confidence is shook and you need your goalie to make a save, if he's not making the save, well, the heads are going to dip for everyone else on that roster. I think the last three games in particular are really telling on what you're talking about right now because... The Blues have been better defensively. Are they perfect? No, there have been some of those turnovers that you're talking about, but no team is perfect. No team plays a perfect game consistently. You're going to have some of those. It's going to happen. It's a matter of at at, at those moments, you need your goalie to step up big. And Bennington hasn't in the last few games. I mean, you, you look at it in the last three games for the Blues that he has started. They have allowed a total of 57 shots on net. Yeah. That's a fantastic job. That's like 19 shots on net per game. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. You'll you'll take that every day of the week if you're Craig Burby. The problem is he's he's having an 87% save percentage in those yeah. three games. It's not good enough. You've got to be better, especially when you're in Bennington's spot and you can see the offense is just not confident right now. You have to be the reason that they win. Is it unfair? Absolutely. It's like a pitcher who's going through his offense. He can see they're struggling. They're just not putting together runs right now. Is it fair to request that the ace of the staff goes eight innings and gives up one earned run? No, it's a totally unfair requirement. 
but those are the expectations that you put on your ace to be able to get you out of that rut to win that game, hopefully give you more confidence going into the next day. That's Jordan Bennington's role. He was just paid six years and $36 million for a reason. You don't expect him to be perfect, but he's got to be better than this. He has to, at some point in this stretch, be the reason that they win games as opposed to giving them a chance to win games. You need him to steal a hockey game, and in my opinion, he hasn't stole a hockey game yet this season for you. Not like we've seen him steal games in the past. And I think the biggest thing for me is when you're a team that's trying to regain confidence on the ice – you can't play mistake-free hockey. You can't try and play perfect hockey, and I think that's what Craig Bruby was alluding to. A, a group of guys right now that, that really don't have confidence in the offensive zone nor in the defensive zone. If they have to play mistake-free hockey, there's going to be mistakes, and when a mistake happens, Jordan Bennington is not stopping that mistake so that the guys can play their own game. They have to play tighter so they can't play offense, which is why I feel you're not seeing a lot of goals right now. You know, David Perron was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today, and I highly recommend checking out uh, the full interview on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by I Promise. And he was talking about how they've had um, – some time off this week and they're, they're not going to have to be around the rink as much over the next few days. Mm -hmm. I feel like the guy that maybe benefits more than anybody else from that is Jordan Bennington. Agreed. Just clear your mind, get away from the rink for a little bit. Don't worry about hockey. Go do whatever. Like, I, I don't know what Jordan Bennington likes to do in his spare time. Maybe it's going to see a bunch of movies, right? Go watch all of the movies. Get your mind off of hockey and hopefully disassociating yourself from the sport for a few days allows you to get back into the groove of things. Remember, it was the Jake Allen January Where they vacation, kept him back. right? Where it was like, hey, every January, just send Jake Allen down to Aruba or something to, to take his mind off of things. He'll come back refreshed and he'll be good to go. But you know what's interesting about that? You're having the same problem with Bennington right now that you had with Jake Allen, that's right? True. Like he, he's giving those goals up that that's ruining everything for the guys in front of him. And it's not the same. I want, I, at the time I got the email yesterday saying that the blues are going to be off again today. I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if that's a smart thing to do. You need to practice. But then the more I thought about it, that's the best thing Craig Bruby could have done is tell these guys, hey, no hockey. Don't even think about hockey for two days. When we hit the ice tomorrow, that's when we go balls out before Thursday when we hit the road to take on Colorado for Friday. Hell that's right. Yeah, I used the phrase. <laughs> balls out. They need to do it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner pucks out. pucks out. That makes more sense, right? Because there's no balls in hockey. I'm Brandon Kylie. No better way to end the segment than that. Coming up next, the guy that is, in my opinion, the voice of hockey, Doc Emmerich's going to join the show. What was it like to call the Blues first Stanley Cup? We'll talk to Doc about that and what is his favorite Bobby Plager story? We'll get that from Doc Emmerich when he joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Two years later, 
and that still gives me goosebumps. Unbelievable. Welcome back into BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, along with Brandon Kylie and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. And that voice you heard was the legendary hockey broadcaster, Mike, or better known as Doc Emmerich, who called it a career this past season. And we have the pleasure and honor of getting him on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line now to uh, talk a little hockey and talk a little life with Doc. Doc, how are you today, sir? I'm doing fine. It's so kind of you to uh, to say all of those things, and it was wonderful to relive that moment in the final minute. I remember in the last old minute or so, our cameras showed the Blues bench, and of course it was obvious they were going to win, and they were all going nuts down there, just pounding one another on the back, and I felt so good for so many people that had weathered the storm that year. But speaking of the storm, I felt pretty good for the people that were watching uh, at Bush Stadium because they got <laughs> drenched that night. And I know that we we had shown some of the downpour and the lightning and the thunder and everything else that was going on. You talk about people sacrificing for the sake of a hockey team. Those people that were watching on the big screen there that got drenched that night uh, certainly did that too. But uh, when you have a smile on your face and you're soaking wet, I guess you don't feel too bad. <laughs> just goes to show you the diehard fans here in St. Louis, and you know that better than anybody, Doc. And for my money, you are the best broadcaster. I mean, I tell people all the time, uh, when I was in college, you were my influence of trying to get into hockey play-by-play because nobody could get you excited about a hockey game like Doc Emmerich could. And, and I, I, if you don't mind, I'd love for you to tell your story of how you got into hockey because you have an incredible book out uh, it's called Off Mike, How a Kid from Basketball Crazy Indiana Became America's NHL Voice. You have just a, a sensational story of how you got into hockey broadcasting. Well, I'll try to give you a thumbnail of that. Um, uh, I saw my first game, and I think that's how most people get hooked on hockey is they see a game live, as much as we think we can televise it really well. Uh, yeah, we can, but... Seeing a game live really gets in your blood, and that, for me, was uh, December 1960 uh, at age 14 at the Coliseum in Fort Wayne, an IHL game with Muskegon. And at that point, I changed from wanting to be a baseball announcer to being a hockey announcer. Well, how do you get to do that? Um, Part of it was just getting some reps in, and that was sitting at the same Coliseum on Wednesday nights by myself in a section and practicing doing a game into a tape recorder. And then I would send those tapes out as audition tapes to professional teams and thought that they would hire me. Well, it didn't happen. So uh, in um, 1967, 1969, 1971, I kept sending these tapes out, which were uh, artificial tapes. They were of legitimate games, but I was doing them to an audience of one myself. And finally, um, after grad school at Miami University, I needed a job, and there was a school in western Pennsylvania that needed someone to teach speech and broadcasting. And um, so I was the guy that uh, got hired to do that. It was 35 miles from Pittsburgh. And so I um, uh, went to the editor of the local evening newspaper, daily newspaper, and said, I'll cover the Penguins for free if you get me a pass. He got me a pass, and the world was open to me of professional hockey as a reporter. That was 50 years ago this past fall. And after a a year of doing that, I realized that maybe I'm not going to be a hockey announcer. Maybe I'm going to be a college professor the rest of my life. I better get a doctorate degree because I could earn $600 a year more. So I applied at two schools that had 
doctoral programs in communications and also had campus stations that broadcast the school's hockey games, Michigan and Bowling Green. When I visited Bowling Green, uh, I, I happened to run into the guy that was in charge of programming the radio station, and he broadcast the first and third periods of the Falcon hockey games, but not the second. They let a student do that. He said that student graduated. If you come here and take the assistantship, you can do the second period. So without an audition, I was going to be on the air at Bowling Green doing hockey. After two years of coursework there toward the doctorate, I had done 18 periods, two seasons in a row, and I had an actual air check. I sent all of those out, and one station in Port Huron, Michigan, of a pro team hired me, and that was 47 years ago. So that's how it happened. It was, it's, that's the short version and it was long enough, wasn't it? (laughs) I loved it. Just an incredible, incredible journey that you've been on, Doc. And here in St. Louis over the last week or so, we've been looking back to some of your early days in hockey with, of course, the late, great Bobby Plager passing away last week. And I I did want to ask you about Bobby because you sent out just a fantastic tribute that the Blues shared with all of us here in St. Louis. But I wanted to give you a platform here in St. Louis to kind of share some of your memories of whether it be watching Bobby Plager play or the man that he is today. Uh, what, What are some of the things that come to your mind's eye as you think of the late, great Bobby Plager? Well, uh, primarily the first um, exposure that I had to Bob was with his brother Barkley playing sometimes as a as a uh, as a tandem, but a, but especially with Scotty Bowman's Blues because in the in the early years of the first expansion, it was the Blues in their division and everybody else. The Blues were clearly the power. That's how they got to the Stanley Cup final for the first three years. Uh, because there there was no real uh, there was no real opposition to get to the final within their division, and then uh, the Blackhawks, being who they were, found a way to get over into their division, and that that enabled them to get to the Stanley Cup final in '71. But Bob Plager and Barkley Plager and Noel Picard were all a part of a of a of a Blues team that had physical presence at a time in the 1960s and 70s when you had to have physical presence in hockey to survive so that the so that the red berenson's and the jimmy roberts and all the rest of the guys could get by with their kind of game bob plager was to me when i first got to meet him in person was such an antithesis of who i thought he was from watching him play on the ice because here was this clever garrulous funny guy that was loaded with jokes and one-liners and uh, self-effacing, just a wonderful guy and a wonderful human being and a dedicated blue blood in that he bled St. Louis blue. He was there. Every time I came into the arena, I would see him. And this was not only in the days of the what was called later the Checker Dome, but also when it was downtown as Sava Center and the various other names that it had, Bob Plager would always be there. And invariably, when I walked up to him or when he walked up to me, I would have a smile on my face because I anticipated something hilarious <laughs> is coming now. And uh, we are going to eventually get to the point where we can start to laugh about Bob again. But 
it's too sad right now. Yeah, it is too sad. And we spent a lot of time last week, Doc, just talking with so many people about the stories and memories uh, that they have of, of Doc Emmerich. And, you know, it kind of goes full circle because you talked about how your first interaction with Bob and Barkley Plager was at the beginning of the St. Louis Blues uh, with the franchise. And then essentially, as we just played uh, coming out of the commercial break, you calling that Stanley Cup final. You've called plenty of Stanley Cup championships. You've called it for teams who have won back-to-back, teams who have won it for the first time. But I'm curious, Doc, was there anything special or meaningful to you when you got to call and see the Blues win their first Stanley Cup? Well, part of it might be personal in a way in that I don't cheer for teams, but I do cheer for individuals. And there were several on Boston's team and several on St. Louis's team that I would have been happy for had they won. And one of them was Craig Berube. Because I was an employee of the Philadelphia Flyers when Craig was a player. And I saw what he gave of himself on a nightly basis back at a time when you had to have a team that carried, as I was saying earlier about the Blues, you had to have a team that carried two or three policemen. And Craig was uh, one of those policemen for the Flyers at the same time that Dave Brown was and others. The Flyers were notorious for having them, but he was one of them, and that's not easy duty to pull. In one of the publications that I carried and photocopied and shared with him, oh, probably five years ago, was a book of unusual statistics about hockey, and it documented the fact that Craig Berube had more fighting majors than anyone in the history of the NHL. I didn't know that that was true, uh, even more than, than Dave Tiger Williams or anyone else, he had, he had the most. And here was a guy that I saw come up through the ranks and then become an assistant coach and then become a coach and then uh, move on eventually to coaching. And, and I, I remember that during that year asking him about his experience coaching in Peoria and other places that he'd been and to see him come full cycle and be hired in November And then in the early games that he was coaching, they had some frustrating losses. It wasn't like it was day and night as soon as he took over from Mike Yo. And then to see the crowning achievement of him coaching a Stanley Cup, I felt very good for him. I felt good for the city of St. Louis and for some of the people that had been there, like Bob Plager, who cared so much about the team, never got to win themselves but got to be there and enjoy the fact that that the city was celebrating a champion that wasn't the Cardinals this time. It was the hockey team. Uh, That made me happy, and especially for Craig. Doc Emmerich is joining us here on 101 ESPN. Doc, I texted a few people last night who cover the Blues or around the Blues to ask them what they would like to know from Doc Emmerich while we have you on. And I I talked with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, and I also talked to Blues reporter Jeremy Rutherford. And JR said, hey, make sure that you ask Doc about the conversation he had with Chris Kerber before that final game, the game seven of the final call. He Apparently, you had a conversation with Kerbs about uh, what that that call would be like for him and what the two of you are potentially going to do for it. Do you remember that conversation? And if so, could you, could you share a little bit with us about what you talked about with Chris Kerber for the final call in that game seven of the Stanley cup? Well, he did a marvelous job because I got to hear it after the fact. Uh, and I I've gotten to hear it a number of times since. Um, 
he and I had discussed the notion, uh, as a, a lot of people have, that Al Michaels is a magnificent broadcaster, and I've Al has said so many wonderful things to me over the course of my career uh, because he has he he of course had the most famous hockey call of all, and he also destined the rest of us who would follow into his footsteps who could never wind up stepping into his shoes properly because the gravity of the games that he was doing, the gravity of the nation watching those games and what all of us emotionally were bringing to it could never be equaled in any subsequent situation that I could imagine. But yet all of us feel impelled to make uh, compelled to make some sort of statement at the end of a game if we have the chance to. Now, I hope I have the time to clarify this. Oh, please, if we have the chance to, is to uh, is to say that if it's not a one goal game, because a one goal game uh, usually involves a goalie being pulled and frantic action around the net. Example: '09 Pittsburgh and Detroit. Nick Lidstrom with a puck on his stick in the second. I have to go in a chance to tie the game. You can't come up with something clever or colorful or dramatic to say other than save the Pittsburgh Penguins win the Stanley Cup. However, if you have a situation like Chris had where it was apparent in the final minute or so that the Blues were going to win the Stanley Cup, then you can prepare something and have it ready to go. And he certainly did. But we talked uh, that day and sort of jest about how, how, uh, because Al had done something that was so spectacular and could not be equaled, the rest of us were destined to follow and always finish <laughs> in some sort of tie for second place. <laughs> well said, Doc. Uh, I'm curious. You've watched so much hockey over the years, Doc, and you've seen so many Stanley Cup champions, as I mentioned, back-to-back championships, first-time championships. Right now in St. Louis, they're in a labeled Stanley Cup window where Doug Armstrong put it that about five years couple of years ago that they're in the Stanley Cup window. How hard is it to maintain that championship window in the National Hockey League, in your opinion? Well, it is, and especially, uh, it's a very hard thing, especially last year and especially this year, because last year was a a four-and-a-half-month separation from the pause to the resumption, and this year it is an incredibly compressed schedule, even though it's a short one. And it is the kind of schedule that takes its toll physically on teams. Barbashev, Pareto, Sunquist, McEachern, Gunnarsson. Wouldn't you love to have those five guys going to war with you into Denver? I mean, it, it yeah. would sure make the playing field a little easier. All the teams are going to have this. And it, it, it is not going to necessarily... Uh, it, it probably means that the Stanley Cup this year is going to be more of a test of endurance than it's been before, uh, unless you go back to last fall when it was really a test <laughs> of endurance and getting people compressed into ten, into five rounds and ten weeks of playoffs uh, from really late July, I guess, into uh, the end of September. So these two years are not indicative probably as much uh, of – uh, of what you can really provide because there there is a carnage factor that is taken to another level because of the complexity of the scheduling and because of the pandemic and the effect that it's had on all the teams. Uh, it's, it's quite noble that all the teams continue to 
to have very few pandemic delays this year, but there is playing every other day and having the travel thrown in. And, of course, the Blues in Minnesota have more travel than anybody because of the division that they're in. Uh, uh, they, it's, it's just difficult. It's just hard. And I know the fan population is understanding, but you still want to see them win. And lately they haven't, but there's still some time left in the season. Doc, is there a theme that you've seen over the years for the teams that are able to keep that Stanley Cup window open? Because that's going to be the next question for the Blues. This year, last year, obviously, it's different. It's difficult to be able to evaluate them with a clear mind. But in general, for the teams that you've seen over the years that have kept that Stanley Cup window open, is there something that comes to mind as a theme or a through line for those teams? Yeah, well, you wind up, certainly you reward your star players with big contracts because you have to to keep them because of free agency being so prominent. Your star players tend to be older. They tend to be the guys that can go somewhere when their contracts are up, so you got to keep them. And uh, an example of that you see uh, north of you now um, in Chicago. And so you have to develop your guys, and, and developing players is key. And so many of the Blues that won the Stanley Cup were developed from within. And so a key is developing and continuing to have that pipeline of players that are coming in uh, from your own organization because those are the guys that are going to be less expensive to bring in and to have continuing, uh, continually going into your lineup so that you can remain uh, under the salary cap, which you have to do to be able to, to put a lineup out there. So I think that's probably the common theme, and the Blues have been very good at doing that. Uh, the one thing you can't factor into all of this is injuries, and that's what they have right now. Doc, I know we've talked a ton of hockey with you, but I, I have to get into to baseball with you because uh-huh. baseball season is about to start up. And I guess my first one for you is, have you come to terms yet with what the season is going to be with your uh, with your favorite Pittsburgh Pirates? No. <laughs> How's that? No, uh, Eddie Olchek and I are, are, are great friends, but I'm sure that we'll probably have a wager on the first series this weekend at Wrigley Field, and I'm sure I'll lose it. Uh, because uh, I, I was just reminding him that, uh, that the uh, Pirates payroll is, uh, is less than three of his players <laughs> added together. And, and, those, and, and only one of them was a pitcher. Uh, of the three. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, the Cardinals are the Cardinals to me, along with the Dodgers in the national league have been the most consistent team through history in terms of being, of rewarding their fans with wins, maybe not world series championships, but with winning teams on a regular basis each year, you think back through the gas house gang and, and into the, fifties and the sixties, the Cardinals were good. And, and the Dodgers have been the same way, not always the giants and not always the teams that came out of Milwaukee. Uh, and then eventually Atlanta, there have been some down years, but those two franchises in the national league have been consistently good and consistently rewarding their fans with good years. And I can't say that with my team, but uh, I don't want to, um, at a holy time of year, uh, make this kind of comparison, but it to me, it's very much like uh, the faith decision I made a long time ago 
my baseball team doesn't change despite any kind of difficulty I go through. Uh, these these baseball teams uh, are important to me, and my Pirates are. And maybe it's like Jerry Seinfeld said, maybe I am cheering for the uniform, uh, but I my team is 0-0, and they haven't lost since last fall. <laughs> So I'm okay. Well said. Doc, as a bit of a follow-up to that, as a Pirates fan yourself, do you have a favorite or a most hated Cardinal over the years that you've gone up against? No. No, the Cardinals were always uh, so superior that you recognize that. <laughs> and so I didn't dislike any of the Cardinals. I always found, and, and I, I when Eddie Olchek and I were in St. Louis the last trip that I made in, uh, during the playoffs, of all things, the Mad Hungarian was at the restaurant where we were having dinner. And I think he may have been a greeter there. I'm not sure. But Al Hrabowski was there. And we we both were sort of in awe of him. And I kind of wanted to go up and say hello, but I didn't. But I was I was really impressed the fact that that I didn't know that much about him after he retired, but he was staying around St. Louis and he was in the restaurant where we were that night. And he wasn't a hated figure, but he was certainly a dramatic figure uh, when he came in in relief. One of my favorite people to know is Kent Tocolvi, who was on the mound the last time my boys won a World Series, 1979 in Baltimore. And Kent will come to Penguins games wearing a Penguins jersey Usually it has the number of a goaltender on the back. And he maintains that closers and goaltenders are very much alike. (laughs) Doc, the final question that I have for you here in St. Louis, that 2019 Stanley Cup run, as you can probably imagine, is it's almost like a, a city holiday now. We're going to remember that. We're going to celebrate it every year from here on out. What was your favorite memory from that run, whether it be the the end of that game or here in St. Louis? A lot of people will point to the parade down market as the, as their um, favorite memory. What was your favorite memory from that run here in St. Louis? It was that shot of the bench that I mentioned earlier with a minute to go and all of the celebrating that was going on at the bench because the other guys had to play the rest of the game out the last 60 seconds or so. But it was that, boys, we finally made it. We made it, and the franchise, I know it goes back to 67, but here we are, we're going to win the Stanley Cup. And the anticipation of those last seconds for them and all they sacrificed, and of course they were out of it. In November, they had no shot. And the story, the storybook finish that they had after they were totally out of it, that was what I'll remember was that ceiling shot at TD Garden that we had of the bench, that long end zone shot of the bench celebrating before the game was over. That's what I'll remember. Well, uh, I'll, I'll never forget your call on that either, Doc. It was an incredible call, and this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for taking some time and joining us this, uh, this afternoon. We love getting the chance to chat with you, and I uh, hope retirement is going well, and we hope to uh, get to, to hear you on some calls sooner or later. Thank you so much, and your energy is infectious. You've gotten me revved up to, to, to watch a hockey game tonight. I thank you for this call, and, and very much I thank the fans in St. Louis for the memories they've given me. Thank you so much, Doc. Enjoy the rest of the day, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. 
Good, thanks. Take care. Take care. Absolutely. That is Doc Emmerich, the one and only, called five Olympic games for NBC. He called 22 Stanley Cup finals on TV. By the way, you can find his book, Off Mike, that Alex referenced earlier, how a kid from a baseball-crazy Indiana became America's NHL voice. It is on Amazon or wherever books are sold. One of... The the yeah. best to do it and uh, the voice of hockey. Uh, I'm, I'm smiling ear from ear like my jaw hurts this entire conversation. But anytime you get the chance to talk with him, I, I mean, there's so many different aspects of it. The voice, the knowledge. I mean, this man has knowledge from back in 1960. Like, I can't remember what I did last night. And he this man watched Bobby Plager. He watched <laughs> Bobby Plager. I mean, he has gone through. He watched the. The Mar- no, he called the Martin Brodeur run in New Jersey. He was a part of that Pittsburgh pay- like he was a part of hockey history. I mean, there's nobody better to do it. And you know, I understand where he comes from. Al Michaels has the saying in hockey. You know, do you believe in miracles? Yes, but Doc Emmerich will and always be will be the voice of hockey for me. He's amazing and uh, hugely appreciative of him for giving us so much time today. Uh, We are going to take a little bit of a break longer than normal. We apologize, but I hope you guys are okay with that since we, you know, had Doc Emmerich on the show. Uh, I did ask him about Chris Kerber's final call for that Stanley Cup run, and uh, he said he loved it. Before we get to jack flaherty and why we are lower on him seemingly than the national media let's go ahead and take a listen to that final call from chris kerber as we go to break here on 101 espn a team that was in last place on january 3rd the players on the bench are bouncing up history will be made tonight in boston 15 seconds to go as shen blocks a puck to the corner 10 seconds remaining get up st louis get on your feet raise them high Five seconds to go, and the time winds down. They did it. It's over. The game is over. The series is over. The wait is over. And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You're talking about a, a bona fide ace. That's more and more rare these days, you know, because there, there's so often times where guys will go short in games. He has the ability to go deep in the game and completely reset your bullpen. I'm really curious how we've got here because that was Doug Glanville of ESPN. He was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. He still views Jack Flaherty as a potential ace. You look at, I was reading The Athletic earlier today, and they put together basically a ranking of the players most likely to be a quote-unquote ace this year. Jack Flaherty was one of the top like five to six guys on their list. They said Flaherty looked more like himself while tossing six scoreless of one run strikeout against San Diego in the in the playoffs. Scouts remain quite optimistic about him. They still see tremendous upside. Quote, wouldn't bet against him being one of the top five pitchers in the game very soon, end quote. That was according to one scout to The Athletic. People across the league, uh, nationally, they still view Flaherty as being that guy. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, do you feel like that is still the predominant prevailing thought here in St. Louis about Jack Flaherty? Or do you think we are lower here locally than people are nationally on Jack Flaherty? Me personally, I'm 
lower, but I'm not really lower. Like, I, I don't know if he is a top five pitcher in all of baseball, but I do think he's a top five pitcher in the National League, if not top 10 in all of Major League Baseball. So I do still think he is the ace of this staff. I do still think that he is a guy that I would never bet against, but I don't know if I'm top five in all of Major League Baseball just because I we've seen a half of a season of it, right? That's yeah. what Tanner continues to tell us. Um uh, so I'm not that down on him, but I do think here in St. Louis, people are down on him. And I think a lot of it is because of his off field stuff. I think it's because of the comments that he has made of the negotiations and saying that he's not going to sign a contract extension, that he wants to get paid his full money. I think that rubs people the wrong way here in St. Louis, just because he has that edge to him and he hasn't lived up to those expectations that you would want with an edge. So I do think people are down on him because I think right now, and I agree, St. Louis is a show-me state. They want to see more from Jack Flaherty than what we've seen from a couple of months. I, I agree with that. I, I'm i lower on him, and I, I think mostly because, and I think it comes into the fan aspect of this too, is what do you think, Jack Flaherty, you think of that 2019 second half run where he was, Cy Young point nine one ERA in the second half, and you you look at that and you go, okay, his potential he could be a twenty game winner and have an ERA sub two. That's not realistic, but that's how we think. We've seen it once. We think he can do it again. We think he can do it for a full season. It's the same thing we did with Bennington after his first yeah. season. You're like, oh, this guy's going to be the best goalie in the league. No, you can't live up to those. Yeah, and you can't live up to that expectation. But so far, like in like in spring, I think he's more of a guy that's going to put kind of his uh, twenty eighteen season together. 3-3 ERA could win you probably 10 ball games. I don't think he'll ever be a sub-3 ERA pitcher, but that doesn't mean he's not an ace. I still think he's an ace, and I I hope I'm wrong, and I hope he does exceed that expectation, but I won't lie. Coming into the season, to me, I feel more like the 2019 first half from what I've seen in spring training, and I get it, BK, you know, it's spring <laughs> training. You and your martini. Um, and cigar. And, yeah, and cigar. Stop smoking he, that in the building, by the he's way. He's 4-6 with a 4.64 ERA first half of 2019. I feel like he has two two different flarities. There's the part that struggles, and that'll be his numbers, or at best he's probably a 3-3 ERA guy. I'm a little lower just because I've only seen half of the season, and I don't want to jump on that bandwagon. I think that the expectation of him being ace is fair. I think he is, if you had to look at the rankings, I think he is a guy that would be 15, about a middle-of-the-pack ace for all of Major League Baseball. Can I defend you for a minute, BK? Please. Because if he's going to go off of spring training numbers with Jack Flaherty, Carlos Martinez is a better ERA than Jack Flaherty in spring oh training. Does that mean you're more confident in Carlos than Jack? No. Okay. But go I know ahead, Carlos BK. is a head case, so. <laughs> so you guys gave a lot of numbers about why you're concerned about Jack Flaherty. What Can is- I give you a couple of numbers as to why you shouldn't be concerned about Jack Flaherty? Please, numbers nerds. So over the last three years, because we always do what what Tanner just said, right? Oh, but it was only the second half of 2019. Hogwash. It's nonsense. Over the last three full seasons that you have seen, 2018 to 2020, there have been 77 pitchers to throw at least 200 innings. 77 pitchers, okay? Among those 77 in the National League, to specify, 77 pitchers in the National League, Jack Flaherty is 12th in ERA, he is fifth in strikeout rate. He is second, second in batting average against, and he is seventh in swinging strike rate. So in terms of like the guys that go up there and they just can't hit him, the whiff rate against him. 
He's a top 10 National League pitcher in basically every sense of the word over a three-season stretch. So I'm supposed to sit here and be like, yeah, but it was just that second half? No. Jack Flaherty has been awesome. He had a couple of bad starts last year, really one exceedingly bad start last year, and that's what we got to got into with his 4-9 ERA. It's a mirage. It's not real. He started nine games last season, so one game where he has a bad outcome ends up having an outsized impact on what his overall ERA is. I am still really high on Jack Flaherty going into this upcoming season. I think he has as good of a chance to win the Cy Young this year as I felt about him winning the Cy Young going into last season. So we hear it from every outsider that comes on our station. Hey, you know, what do you think of Jack Flaherty going into the year? Hey, high upside, legitimately could win a Cy Young at some point in his career. I still feel that way. And it's because of not just the second half of 2019, but what he's been basically since taking over as a regular starter for the Cardinals, which is one of the 10 best starters in the National League. T-Bone, we should have known never to go against the numbers nerds when it comes to something like this. You should have, we should have always known. Uh, I will say this too. Jack Flaherty has suffered from not getting enough offense behind him. Like people, people say that wins don't matter with pitchers, but they look at losses with pitchers, right? And the losses for Jack Flaherty come from not getting enough offensive support. So I do think a lot of heads will turn towards Jack Flaherty this season because he's got a little bit more offense behind him and better defense behind him. He's never going to be the 2019 Jack Flaherty. Like people, just like Jordan Bennington, he's never going to be that guy again. But I do believe we're looking at a guy who could be sub three ERA in his career season by season. And I think that's exactly what you need from a Jack Flaherty. And the edge that this guy has and the attitude that this guy has, I think, is what a lot of people should be on board with as him as a Cy Young contender. I think we'll be able to have a firm narrative at the end of this season. Oh, for and sure. I think, yeah. And the reason I say that is because, yeah, 2020, you can just throw that thing away. Like you mentioned, BK, the one bad start. 2019 was really that first full season we got to see Jack Flaherty. And as I mentioned, that first half, you looked at him and you said, okay, maybe he doesn't develop into an ace. But then you saw the second half and you said, that's Bob Gibson-esque numbers. So there's that big massive gap in between from a point nine to a four six i think this season and hopefully he doesn't i don't know if hopefully is the right word but if he doesn't do where he has the bad first half and a great second or vice versa and he's just consistent then i think this narrative of is flaherty an ace is done if, if flaherty is three three and he pitches pretty consistent all year long then it's done we don't have to have the conversation ever again but if there are struggles for a month or two and then you've got he's really good for three months, then I think the conversation continues because just the level of inconsistency. That's just so unfair, man. Like, there are so many players across baseball. We saw last year, and it's a one-off, right? But uh, you look at Christian Yelich's numbers at the end of the season. He ended up having a perfectly fine season, but he had a really bad, like, two- to three-week stretch at the beginning of it. And some of that is probably because he doesn't, didn't have the video that he would typically lean on. But it, even a guy like Christian Yelich, who is won an MVP he can have a few bad weeks, but we here in St. Louis don't allow a guy like Jack Flaherty to have, he probably will at some point this year, have a bad stretch where he has three straight outings where it's like, damn, is, is there something wrong with Jack Flaherty? 
and then he's probably going to get back on track because that's how pitchers are. Even Adam Wainwright in his prime had a few bad games here and there. It was like, man, that that was weird. Waino didn't have his best stuff today. And maybe he ends up going five or six and he gives up four or five earned runs that day. That's what you need to see out of Jack. It's less concerning to me about ah, didn't have his best stuff today. He's got to be able to fight through it this time. And I think that you're going to see him be able to do that this year. I just I'm not worried about him and the Cardinals can't worry about him if they're going to reach their peak this year they need him to be the guy that yeah. we're all talking about right now they got other worries it's twelve seventeen. your time check brought to you by clarkson jewelers an officially licensed rolex jeweler coming up next let's talk to our guy jeremy rutherford we talked earlier today about jordan bennington's struggles of late i want to talk about that with jr what he's seen from jordan bennington and if there's a silver lining from the most recent stretch of games, it's the Blues out shooting their opponents the way they have. What can I take away from that, though, given the fact that they lost all three games? Watch we'll JR next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our guy Jeremy Rutherford. He's the Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. JR, what's going on, man? How you doing today? Good, good, doing well, guys. How you guys doing? Doing very well, doing better than the Blues have been of late. So let's start with the recent slide, or it's been a prolonged slide, I guess you could say now. Uh, what have we taken away from what's gone wrong for the Blues, really, in their last like 10 to 15 games now? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of issues. I think, uh, you know, a big picture, I still think they miss a shutdown defenseman, even though the defense has been better here lately. They've been forced to. I think, uh, you know, still missing Colton Pareko is the biggest issue with this team uh, in my mind. I think that they went through a stretch, as we all know, where they had a ton of injuries and somehow they were able to stay afloat. I think it eventually catches up to you, and we saw that. And now we're starting to see the Blues get some bodies back when, when you get a Tarasenko and a Schwartz back. And, you know, whether it takes some time, a few games, a week, you know, two weeks, uh, they're, they're trying to find themselves. And, and I think it's been very, very difficult. And when you throw on the top of it that, uh, you know, you're not finishing and, and, and you're getting a ton of shots, but you're not getting goals and you're losing games as a result of that, it just adds to the frustration. So I think there are a number of things going on right now that uh, they're trying to address. And, and lastly, uh, Ryan O'Reilly hit on it the other day, the confidence, which blows you away when you think about a team that's, I know there's a lot of faces that have changed, but a team that won the cup a couple of years ago still has a lot of veteran players uh, from that team uh, that's lacking confidence right now. JR, I think I've solved the problem. You want to know what I think it is? Yeah, yeah. What, what is it? So when I was out on paternity leave, the Blues actually oh, went on no. a run. Uh, <laughs> I believe if BK is correct, no. they did not lose a game in regulation. Now, when I have returned, I think they've only won two games. Uh, so if, if you're on board with this, I think BK should be the pre- and post-game host from the rest of the season. What do you think? Well, and I think I read you the other day where you said, hey, Blues fans, you want BK back, which is fine. I think the Blues were winning at that time. But to me, BK is the one who brought on all that overtime hockey, and I was getting a little fed up with that. Okay, (laughs) okay. Well, we all know how over – I've seen JR in overtime hockey. He's wanted to throw that laptop off the top of the the press row at times. But JR, in all honesty, the area that I think a lot of people have been talking about, and BK and I touched on it a little bit ago, is Jordan Bennington. Now, I don't know if you took this away from Craig Bruby 
Philly's post-game conference the other night. But he talked about how it's impossible to play mistake-free hockey, and he talked about how a couple of goals went in that needed to be saved. Are we starting to see kind of the Jake Allen effect from a few years ago where every time he would let in a goal, it just seemed the confidence was gone even faster from the guys in front of him? Yeah, you know, I think maybe a little bit. uh, But I I do think, you know, what Craig's saying there, he's just being honest that uh, they need a save or two. And, and, you know, Jordan Bennington hasn't been great. I do think uh, he had a pretty good start this year. I do remember us talking about him the first few weeks of the season. He, he, He looks great, and I think he was bailing them out at times. But now, not only are we not seeing just like a 10-bell save where it's, uh, wow, holy smokes, that really you kept him in the game. That could have been a disaster there. Uh, but we're seeing some of the saves that you know he can make and the saves that, that he's made over the years not get made. And, and I think that there are mistakes all over the ice. And you see Jordan Cairo accident, you know, he falls, but mm-hmm. then Mikola and, and Bortuzzo have a chance to kind of – to, to, to try to kill that play i know it was a great play but uh you know the puck is shot on net and jordan bennington doesn't come up with the save like those are some of the saves i think that he could be making easy for me to say uh but uh he's he's struggling right now i think and and the blues need him to be better just like they need a lot of guys in this lineup to be better Uh, but he is the guy that you've looked at the past couple years he is the guy who signed the six-year 36 million dollar contract so this is who your goalie is for the next six years and I, I think that like the other the rest of the team is lacking confidence to me it doesn't look like Jordan's Jordan Bennington's confidence is uh, very high right now it seems that the Blues are hesitant of taking the body too, JR I mean Tory Krug not taking the body um, in the neutral zone which led to that first goal against Anaheim and then Bortuzzo not taking the body on that second goal against Anaheim I mean this is a team that has been so physical in the past and now it just feels like they're hesitant to throw the body around yeah alex and you know it's it's just a different team it's a different makeup you know it, when you talk about losing petrangelo and bowmeister and and you know those types of guys even edmondson you know was a taller guy with a long stick and so now you have these uh you know more undersized guys who can play the game and they can be a contending team they really can but it's a bit of a different uh, style like like they're not going to be able to I remember all the coaches the past few years just talking about how tough it was to play against the Blues because not only were they physical but they their sticks were in passing lanes and mm-hmm. you know opposing offenses just didn't think about attempting some of these you know cross ice you know seam passes um, so this defense has to you know they, they have to close the gap they got to be with you and you know I don't think they're going to play overly physical but you're right it has to be you know more on the body more more near the offensive player, and, and we just haven't seen that. You know, Craig Bruby talked about it a couple of weeks ago, lack of awareness where the puck is, lack of uh, net front presence. I'm talking about on the defensive end, um, and we haven't seen that from that de- from this defense. I think they've played better as a team defensively here lately, and, and of course it's led to more puck possession, more shots on goal, but going back to what we were saying earlier, just not putting them in the net. Talking to Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. All right, JR, uh, let's get to what was the biggest story on Sunday, and that was the Blues deciding to make Mike Hoffman a healthy scratch going into that game. JR, we've talked about this. I've talked about it for a couple of weeks now with Alex Ferrario. When the Blues get back to full health, which they're getting close to now, it's really tough for me to find a spot in the lineup for both Sanford and Hoffman, and I think we saw that on Sunday's game. 
What do you do now? Because now he's been a healthy scratch once. That is a public acknowledgement of kind of what's been the secret or the worst kept secret that things aren't going great right now with Hoffman in the lineup. What do they do with him? Is, is he a potential trade candidate? Do you just put him back in there on Friday night? What do you do with Mike Hoffman? Yeah, to me, he's a guy you have to play him or you have to trade him. And it's difficult to see them trading him if they're in contention because, you know, he can be a good player. He really can be. So, you know, if everybody's healthy, is he in your top six? Maybe he's not. But today, to me, the NHL is a top nine world. Like, you can be in the top nine and be an offensive player and be successful. We saw the Blues with their third line in the Stanley Cup run. You know, it contributed some offense. So you can be that guy. To me, I think there's a little bit of blame on both sides, and I wrote about it a couple days ago. Uh, It's a situation where you knew what he bring him to St. Louis, and he can be a a skilled guy. He can score you goals, especially on the power play. That's his forte. Uh, But at the same time, you need him five on five. And, and, you know, I I think we've seen that the five on five play with Mike Hoffman um, hasn't been great. But you're not going to see where you watch him and you say, wow, that's like, Jaden Schwartz-esque. Like, there is a ton of effort there. He's skating everywhere. He's finishing checks. That's not who Mike Hoffman is. So, you know, it's almost like uh, a situation where you have with Mike Hoffman right now where you have this big slugger, this cleanup hitter batting fourth, and you're batting him leadoff. It's just not what he's best suited for. So, to me, if, if you know what Mike Hoffman is, you've seen him the last six years, you bring him in, and then you put him in a different type of role, I just don't see how he's going to be successful there. So, I'm with the Blues in that you want to be able to watch the game and see that he's fulfilling his assignments, that he's doing what he needs to do, and you know, defense is leading to offense and creating scoring chances, and he's getting some more five-on-five goals. So there needs to be that effort there. I'm with them there, but they also have to put him in a spot where, as we've seen in Florida and Ottawa, where he does his damage and he scores goals, and, and I just don't see that that's been the case. See, Chair, I think the, the thing that's frustrating for me is I watch this team and I'm like, okay, well, Hoffman's not going to overtake Tarasenko. He's not going to overtake Perron. He's not going to overtake Kairou for the here and now or for the future. So where is my spot for Mike Hoffman in this lineup right now? Because you're right, he is kind of that cleanup hitter, but so are those other guys that you have in your lineup. And so I look up and down. I don't think they have a spot for him. Is it? Is it possible that this is not of his own doing, but he's kind of a victim of the circumstances right now where it it doesn't really make sense for him to be added on any one of these lines? Well, then what'd you bring him in for? Was he just a stopgap when Tarasenko was out? And then when Tarasenko comes back, then, you know, you push him down the lineup and put him in the press box. I don't think that was the, I just don't think that was the end game with uh, Mike Hoffman. They felt like he, he could, even if he gets pushed down to the third line, he could give them some depth offense. But to think that, you know, he can play uh, a strong five-on-five game, a defensive game, and, and finish his checks, if that's what they envisioned, which I don't think they did, then then I don't think that uh, this was ever going to work from the start. And so now you're in a situation where you you can't take a $4 million player and asset and put him in the press box. Right. You either have to play him or trade him. And then the situation is, if, if, if you're trading a guy like that, the other team isn't going to give up another player on their contending team who needs a change of scenery, most likely. They're going to give up a, a draft pick. And what's a draft pick going to do for the Blues' chances to make the, the playoffs this year? So to me, it's it's a difficult situation right now, but they've they've got to get him back in the lineup. And, you know, he has to uphold his end of the bargain here and, and give that effort. 
Uh, but I, I just think, you know, a minute 55 a game on the power play, I don't think is what people uh, envision when you bring in a guy like Mike Hoffman. Yeah, I agree, JR. One more for you. Uh, trade deadline, we've talked a lot about it, and we're getting close to it. April 12th is that in the NHL. I think a lot of people look at this Blues team and they say they need a defenseman, a guy with size, length, like you talked about. But Elliot Friedman set the Blues world on fire the other night, <laughs> saying that Taylor Hall could be a possibility. Uh, do you think that forward is more for this team than defenseman? And who is the guy that sticks out to you that could be a match for this team, Jr.? Well, it, it all hinges on Colton Preco, and, and uh, you know I, I don't want to like poo-poo the question here because uh, you know I'm sure the Blues are making phone calls, Doug Armstrong, and, and checking in on some things. You know I'm sure you know they've probably made a phone call to Buffalo just to check in on Taylor Hall. But but like it's been mentioned, it's it's such a tough thing cap wise, especially if you're getting Colton Preco back. They're in long-term injured reserve. His 5.5 million that we assume is on uh, long-term right now comes back on. You know, how do you fit them? Like, there's going to have to be money going out to fit somebody, you know, that's going to cost five, six, or even eight million dollars like Taylor Hall to get them on this roster. And, you know, if Colton Preco comes back, sure, he's not going to be 100%, but does that take care of your defensive needs? Do you feel good about your defense? You know, if so, then maybe you look at forward. Uh, to me, they have quality forwards. They have guys that can put the puck in. You know, it, does it take a little bit more time to, to piece it together? I don't know, but. Wow. I mean, Army's really swinging for the fences if he's even considered bringing a a Taylor Hall in. He's Jeremy Rutherford. Find his work over on The Athletic. Also, give him a follow on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. JR, you're the best man. Always appreciate the time. We'll talk with you again soon. Anytime, boys. Thanks. Absolutely. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. Just one quick thought on that the Hoffman thing that I said there. So... I, if I had to guess what the Blues' plan was with Mike Hoffman, and this is a pure guess speculation from my part. I want to put that out on the front end. My guess would be he was insurance for two guys, Jordan Cairo if he didn't take the next step, and Vladimir Tarasenko if it ended up taking a little longer for him to get back in. You know, you, you needed somebody to play that Vladdy Tarasenko role early in the season as well while he was out. He did that. Mike Hoffman filled the role of Vladimir Tarasenko early in the season. Hell, so did, by the way, Jordan Kyrou. They both kind of gave you that scoring punch that you were in need of. Well, now, Kyrou has taken that next step. Now, you'd like him to take another one. You'd like him to see uh, be a little bit more responsible defensively. But Kyrou has become the player that we all hoped that he could be. Score, he's a scoring threat. He's unbelievably fast. You see the talent out there every night. And Vladimir Tarasenko is back. Doesn't look like 100% of himself, but he's back. Now you're in a situation where, okay, the two guys that this player was insurance for have returned. So now what do we do with this asset that we have that's sitting here? If I'm the Blues, what do I do with that asset? Because JR's right. You don't just hold on to him and sit him up in the press box every night. That makes no sense for $4 million to be sitting in the press box. I would trade him. And if that means getting a draft pick in return... That's fine. That helps me for the future. It's kind of like what they did with Paul Stastny a few years ago, where you're both buying and selling at the deadline, and it helps you set up for future years while not actually taking you out of contention for the here and now. That's what I would do. I think he was insurance, and now you no longer need that policy because the thing that you were insuring, it's back. It's on the ice for you. You Mm -hmm. don't need that insurance any longer, in my opinion. Yeah, and maybe we can get into this deeper because I disagree with that. I think with Mike Hoffman, um, he still can be a depth piece for you. It's just about guys taking that next step. But I understand where you're coming from. I just know Doug Armstrong and I know Craig Berube, and you look at an asset like Mike Hoffman and you say, well, he was here for insurance. Yes, he was here for insurance, 
but I also think he was here for other reasons. And again, we can get into this sure. deeper because I know we're going, we're, we've gone long on this break. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of Bet It or Forget It coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's continue from the last segment here for a second. Bet it or forget it, guys. Mike Hoffman will be traded at the deadline. Bet it or forget it. Mike Hoffman ends up getting traded by the Blues at the trade deadline. I'm going to forget it because of a couple of reasons. One, I don't know who you can get because you've made a Mike Hoffman a healthy scratch. And I don't see the Blues selling, so to speak. So that would have to be a hockey trade. And second, I think Hoffman is going to be an asset for this team. I think the healthy scratch will probably be a benefit. And I think he will be effective. Uh, So I'm going to say forget this because I think he's going to be a part of this team for the rest of the season. I'm going to bet it. I think the Blues will trade Mike Hoffman. I I think they'll look to get something. I don't know if they're going to, if it's a player for player trade, a hockey trade, or if it's going to be, we'll deal him and we'll get a pick first round. Again, I agree with you, Alex. If you're, if you trade him, it would have to be probably a first round pick. I don't know if, or yeah, I think a first round pick, you can't take a second round pick for Mike Hoffman. So, and I get the scratch doesn't help that case, but I'm going to say bet it. I think they will move Mike Hoffman. I think they will as well. I'm going to bet it. And I think they get less than a first round pick. I don't think you get a first round pick for what a third of a season now in a shortened year for Mike Hoffman. I think you'll get less than that, especially now that people know he is a devalued asset. He is somebody that you don't really have a spot for moving forward. And I think the blues are going to be okay with that because they'll look at it as we get $4 million. We get that cap space back to be able to use for whenever Colton Pareko ends up returning to the lineup. Fingers crossed that happens. And we also get that asset for this offseason, whether it be for another trade that we can turn around and use that to help us get something else in the offseason or to select a player at that point that we think can eventually help us on our major on our NHL roster. So I think they trade him. I'll go ahead and bet it. I do not think Mike Hoffman finishes the season with the St. Louis Blues. I thought you were about to say on our voyage. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service sex line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. Matt Carpenter starts more games this year than Lane Thomas for the St. Louis Cardinals. Matt Carpenter starts more games than Lane Thomas this year for the Cardinals. Bet it or forget it, Alex Ferrario. Um, I'm going to bet it because I don't. You're essentially fighting for one spot for Lane Thomas because Dylan Carlson's not going to be out. And I really don't see Tyler O'Neill coming out of this lineup. So once Harrison Bader is healthy, he goes back there. If Justin Williams is playing well, he's going to play there. Nagowski's going to have to get into the lineup. For me, Matt Carpenter can play multiple positions. Lane Thomas is one spot that's open. So I'm going to say bet it. Carpenter plays more than Lane Thomas this season or starts more than Lane Thomas this season. Unfortunately, I agree. (laughs) I'm going to bet it too. I think, I don't think it's going to be a lot. I Take your medicine, boys. Just uh, take your medicine. Eat your to. veggies. Uh, I'd still rather not. Yeah, I think he's going to happen. I don't. I agree with you. I don't know where Thomas starts. I think O'Neal's going to be your left fielder. Bader will be your center fielder. Carlson's going to be your right fielder. And the hell, Tommy Edmond could be a right fielder at some point, and Carpenter at second base. So yeah, I'll bet it. 
I'm betting it as well. Let's go ahead and sweep this yeah, one, why boys. Do you sound so cheerful. Yeah, Matt why Carpenter are you so happy is going to start this? more games than Lane Thomas this season. It's going to happen. Lane Thomas, right now, if you think about it, guys, think about the outfielders that have passed him up on the depth chart now. So you've got. Tyler O'Neill, who won the left field job over him in the spring. Harrison Bader is certainly above him. Future Dylan Carlson is above him. Justin Stun. Williams is above him. Austin Dean is above him. Apparently, Tommy Edmond is above him, not just as an outfielder, but as a center fielder at this point. That's six guys that are ahead of Lane Thomas on the depth chart. Meanwhile, at second base, I think there's one ahead of Matt Carpenter. I think it is just Tommy Edmond. And by the way, he's your backup in center field and at shortstop and at third base going into the season. Who's starting at second when he's moving to those other spots? We know the answer. It's Matt Carpenter as a left-handed bat coming off of the bench for you. So against 70% of the pitchers that are right-handed, you're going to see a little bit of Matt Carpenter, especially early, early in the year. Matt Carpenter is going to get more starts than Lane Thomas. Next one up, guys, for better to forget it. Better to forget it. You're buying what the 49ers are selling and they're actually going to move up to number three, traded three first round picks to select former Alabama quarterback Mac Jones. Better to forget it. The 49ers are actually going to take Mac Jones with the number three. I want to say forget it because they can't be this stupid, right? Like, come on. You can't be this never stupid. Never say never. Well, and that's why I'm going to bet it, because it really seems like they're going for Mac Jones. By the way, someone just tweeted out from his uh, his pro day. Um, We're talking about the deep ball, the deep ball. <laughs> and then they compared it to Jimmy G's deep ball in the Super Bowl where he overthrows the receiver and Mac Jones did the exact same thing. And they flashed to Kyle Shanahan. And that looks like the most pale face you've ever seen of what the F did we just do? Um, I can't believe they're going to pass on Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, who I don't think Zach Wilson's going to be there. But I got to say, I'm going to bet it because it really seems like Mac Jones, unless tinfoil Ferrario can pop out here for a second, boys. Okay, please. Oh, boy. What if Bill Belichick is going to make a move for that third overall pick? But the 49ers just moved up for the third overall pick. What if the 49ers just saw Mac Jones and they're saying, woof, we need to get rid of this and get themselves back two more first round picks from New England. And And Belichick is like, I can play with that. Belichick's like, I can make a Super Bowl champion out of this. (laughs) You've had really good tinfoil theories. That was a bad one. This is not one. Okay. Of them. Well, hey, I haven't had one for like two weeks, so I'm still gonna bet this. I didn't though. even have the music ready for that one. It's because uh, it's trash, T-Bone. Uh, I'm gonna forget it. I, I'm with you. There's no way they're this stupid, right? I, I, I think it's a bunch of hogwash. <laughs> I think it's one of those words. Okay. Oh, what yeah, is with we'll you two there. using the word hogwash today? Hey, Wait, we're from the 1970s. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm from the 70s. Don't jump aboard that. You're from like the sevens. Sorry. Um, go ahead. I'm betting it. I cannot believe that we live in a world where Mac Jones is going to go in the top three in an NFL draft. This dude has negative tools as a quarterback. Oh, that like, seems a bit harsh. I, no, it negative is not. Tools. Go watch the video of him throwing a deep ball. He like overthrows this guy by like 20 yards. The, the air conditioning may have kicked on. Now, <laughs> to be that fair, deeper. to be fair to Mac Jones. No. He just threw for 4,500 yards, 41 touchdowns, and four interceptions against a pure SEC schedule. That is super impressive, and full props to him. He was awesome last year for Alabama. Awesome. He also was throwing to some of the best receivers we'll ever see. Yeah. When you look at it. And Alabama quarterbacks never pan out. I just. Never. McCarron was great. No, he wasn't. I, I honestly don't know how much of a difference there is between A.J. McCarron and Mac Jones. 
and and maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe. But this is not a dude that I would be betting on proving me wrong with the top three pick. I'm stunned, absolutely stunned that this is potentially their guy. So sticking on that path, better to forget it. Justin Fields, a guy that just ran a 4-4-40 today and lit up the scoreboard at Ohio State. A guy that we all agreed while watching him. Yeah, that guy's way more talented than Mac Jones. Everybody would agree with that. Oh. Better to forget it. He ends up being the fifth quarterback selected in this year's draft. So he goes after Trevor Lawrence, after Wilson from BYU, after Mac Jones, and after Trey Lance of North Dakota <laughs> if this State. This guy goes after Trey Lance. I'm going to lose it. Who has the fifth pick? Uh, the fifth pick it's this not year. Philadelphia. I think it's Cincinnati. Four, right? Cincinnati's got the fifth. There's no way they're taking no. him. No, no, of but not. he would He'll be the, the fifth, fifth quarterback. quarterback selected, not necessarily. But, uh, fifth I think overall. the next quarterback, if he is the fifth, would be the Carolina Panthers. Am I am I mistaken there? So right now, Miami's not taking him. Jacksonville's going to take Trevor Lawrence. We know the Jets are going to take Wilson. 49ers, It sounds like Mac, Mac Jones. Jones. Fourth Atlanta, would be Lance. Maybe Lance potentially going there, and then you got Cincinnati, Miami, and then Detroit, Carolina, Denver. That's the pocket well, where the next guy's going to go. And Detroit's got Jared Goff now. So why are they going to draft a quarterback? I'm going to say I'm going to forget it because I I think he goes fourth over Trey Lance. Part of me wonders if this is just a smokescreen for Mac Jones and Justin Fields goes third because Mac Jones makes a lot of sense to the Atlanta Falcons because isn't the comp with him, Matt Ryan and hasn't Mac or Matt Ryan won a Although Matt Ryan won the MVP with Kyle Shanahan. Yep. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> it's this, all starting is, to hit you, isn't this it? This is throwing me off course. Yeah, I'm going to bet it now then because I say he's the fifth quarterback because Trey Lance, for some reason, is like an obsession for a lot of these guys. Justin Fields is going to go to the Carolina Panthers, fifth quarterback taken overall, which I think is a bad decision because I think these guys are going to be making another uh, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes mistake. I'm going to forget. I still think he's going third. Third. There's no way San Francisco is this stupid. <laughs> Shanahan's trying to go Matt Ryan 2.0. Let's get ourselves another MVP. Didn't we all no. watch Justin Fields dominate Clemson? That game yeah. happened, right? Dude was yeah. a stud. And he like I he, walked in the next day and said, "There's no he could he did he just beat out Lawrence as the number one pick?" The dude like broke his ribs in the game, came back and was awesome. The rest of the game. Frankly, I think the Jets are being stupid, not taking him second overall. I'm stunned. I, I'm absolutely stunned at the way that these this quarterback board seems like it's going to end up falling. But man, man, is this going to be interesting on draft night? The 49ers threw everything into flux with their move. Yeah, because I, I'm believing what everybody else is selling. Maybe I'll be a fool for it. I think they're going to take Mac Jones. I think Atlanta ends up if they go quarterback. I think they're taking Lance, not Justin Fields. And then I think you're going to see whether it be Detroit, Carolina, or Denver. One of those three teams is going to end up taking Justin Fields. Are we going to find? And they're going to get a steal. Are we going to have another Deshaun Watson draft though, where they, they take somebody thinking that he's the safer pick, and Deshaun and Patrick Mahomes are the ones that run away with it? I don't think this guy. I don't think Fields will be better than Mahomes or Watson, but I do think he's going to be the second best quarterback to come out of that draft. I think there's a really good chance of it. I think there's a really good chance that he ends up being the second best player selected. By the way, with Mac Jones, like. I'm just I'm concerned about the upside here. So let's say you made the convert uh, the comp to Matt Ryan, right? A lot of people are saying Kirk Cousins as well, because that's another quarterback oh, that God. we had seen have his best seasons with 
uh, the Shanahan's in Washington. Do you really trade three first round picks to get one of those guys, though? Because you need the team around them to be really special to build up what they are as players. And, who, just, and who the hell is Mac Jones throwing the ball to? Because they don't have any. And San Francisco? George yeah. Kittle. Kittle Sam, no, oh, Samuel I forget. George Kittle, George Debo Kittle. Samuel, uh, Brandon Ayuk was pretty good. They, their weapons are all right. Their weapons are all right. Kittle's okay. That's about it. <laughs> He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming with up the next. We're going to talk to our guy, Sean McIndoe. He is a hockey writer for The Athletic. He is reaching for the panic button here in St. Louis. He'll tell us why next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Sean McIndoe is a hockey writer over at The Athletic. You might follow him on Twitter. He's at Down Goes Brown. Sean, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you on. So let's start with your article that you wrote recently. Uh, you, you power rated some of the best and the worst teams in the league right now. And the Blues had a special uh, feature in your story on whether or not it is time to hit the panic button now for this team. For the listeners that have not read the piece, Sean, where do you fall on this Blues team right now? Is it time to reach for that panic button? Yeah, I mean, that was the basic conclusion that I came to, was that the team itself says, no, it's not time to panic quite yet. Uh, but that's what teams always say. That's, that's their, uh, the go-to answer. That's what you expect them to say. It doesn't do them any good to, uh, uh, to say anything else. For the rest of us, especially somebody like me who's watching this team from the outside, uh, yeah, I think we've got to be pretty close to that point because this was a team that a lot of us looked at going into the season saying, okay, you know what? Uh, we got to figure out where they're going to land in the playoff seating and who they're going to play, because we already know that they've got the spot wrapped up. When you looked at how that West Division was laid out, uh, I mean, they all they got to do is beat one of probably Arizona or Minnesota to make the playoffs. That shouldn't be any problem, even if things go bad. Who are they going to play? Are they going to have to go through Colorado and Vegas? Can they finish first and skip those? That was what we were thinking of. And then suddenly, you know, at least for, for those of us who, who aren't watching it day-to-day necessarily, uh, you look at the standings and you go, wait a second, these guys are in trouble. Sean, how does it get fixed then? I mean, a lot of us here in St. Louis, we've talked about how the injuries have taken such a toll, but pretty much all of the guys have come back except for Colton Pareko and Ivan Barbashev, other than uh, Oscar Sundquist, who's done for the rest of the season. When you get Pareko back, maybe that fixes some issues, but uh, where does this team go from here if you're Doug Armstrong? Yeah, I mean, you do look at that. I mean, Pareko, is that, that's a real big piece, so uh, obviously... Every team has injuries, every team is missing guys, but that's a big one to miss, and, and uh, I think it's fair to expect that you're going to be better when he gets back. Vladimir Tarasenko, a guy that I mentioned in, in the piece, hasn't really been productive yet, but the, the kind of injury he's coming back from, you don't expect a guy to drop right in the lineup and just be at 100% uh, full gear. Maybe it takes a little bit of time. Uh, but yeah, from there, you, you just kind of look around and go, okay, what else is it that's going to help that's going to boost this team over the top? And certainly... When you're talking about the St. Louis Blues, we all remember what happened two years ago. We remember dead last place in the entire league midway through the season, and, and we know how that turned out. Uh, so that's another good reason not to panic. It's a reason why the guys in that locker room, the coaching staff and everybody, they can all look around and say, okay, we've been here before. In fact, we've been worse than here before, and we know that we've got the right people here to turn it around. 
Um, but at some point, guys have to start doing it. Goaltending has to be better. That's always an issue whenever you look at a team that's slumping. Uh, and, and then maybe from there you look at Doug Armstrong and you say, okay, are, are there reinforcements out there that might be on the way in? Sean, one thing that we've been looking towards now is we're about two weeks away from the trade deadline is what players could be out there that can maybe help this team if they wanted to make a deal at the deadline. And the thing that we've been looking for is, hey, is there any big right-handed defenseman that could come in and just stand in front of the net and defend the hell out of it for the Blues? Is there anybody that comes to mind that maybe you think could become available that kind of fits that kind of a criteria? Well, I mean, get in line if if that's the sort of guy you're looking for. Because unfortunately, the uh, that is uh, that's the sort of asset that uh, pretty much everybody out there is. It always seems to be looking for, and uh, it, it's it. There's not a lot of those guys available because most of the teams that are struggling don't have those guys, and most of the teams that have those guys are are the ones that are looking to add. So, uh, you know, there's not really any. Obvious names that jump to my mind as far as a guy that's going to come in and, and be a real big impact guy, be that top line, uh, you know, guy who's, who's, who's going to drop right in there. Uh, maybe that's not what you need. Maybe it's more of the hard-nosed veteran sort of guy who knows his role and can can just go out there and, like you say, plan himself in front of the net and, and make life difficult. Um, the, the good news is Doug Armstrong knows how to handle this situation. He's He's been here before. We've seen him make moves before. Uh, he's been a GM for a long time, and, and I tend to, anyone that's read my stuff knows I tend to rag on the GMs quite a lot because a lot of them in this league are, are very timid. They don't like to make big moves. Uh, Doug Armstrong's guy who's willing to do it. So I, certainly if that guy's out there, uh, I would uh, I, I would have at least some faith in Doug Armstrong to go out and find him and find out what the price is, and then you got to figure out are we willing to pay that price? Because, like I say, it is going to be a seller's market for that particular type of player, I would imagine. What about it? We've talked a lot about Mike Hoffman over the last couple of days. He was a healthy scratch for the Blues on Sunday, and we we don't know what the future is going to hold for him. They might just keep him here, but if the Blues did make Mike Hoffman available. Do you think they could get anything appealing in return, whether it be a hockey trade or just a draft pick for him? Yeah, I, I think in that situation it maybe does become a hockey trade uh, scenario, and that's not something we see a lot this type of year. But uh, Mike Hoffman, I mean, he's such an interesting player. I'm here in Ottawa, so I got to see Mike Hoffman quite a lot early on in his career. And he was always, even with Ottawa, he was one of those guys you looked at and said, this guy's underrated. All he does is score. Everywhere he goes, he just keeps scoring goals and uh, did it in Florida too. And, and his situation, obviously, in free agency where you kept waiting for him to sign, a, a, not necessarily a monster contract somewhere, but something with a little bit of term and, and a little bit of a cap hit, never really happened. And then when he drops in in St. Louis, you go, okay, that's a great fit. That, that's, that's a team that's looking to win right now. Go ahead and add a piece like that. And so far, doesn't seem to be working. There is still time. And, you know, we've seen lots of guys around the league get, get benched and scratched this year. And, and in some cases, it's the beginning of the end. And in some cases, they turn it around. So I'm not, I'm not saying that the Mike Hoffman era is necessarily done. And maybe you do hold on to him and just say, we're going to need some scoring depth at the very least going into the playoffs if we get that far. But if you could move him, I don't think anyone's lining up to give you a high pick. But I could be a scenario where either... Like you say, you can make a hockey trade with some team that's got a little bit of extra somewhere else and is looking for that scoring punch, or maybe you get a pick or a prospect that's not all that impressive and not really something that moves the needle for you right now, but maybe that allows you to flip either that asset or something else in a different deal and add that way. You know, That's another way that you can do it, kind of make the deal in, in a couple of different parts with a couple of different teams. And again, if I'm thinking this stuff, 
I'm sure Doug Armstrong is too, and he's probably miles ahead of me. Sean, uh, us in the hockey world, we saw Elliot Friedman kind of set the world on fire a couple of days ago talking about Taylor Hall connecting to the St. Louis Blues. Do you see any scenario where that works itself out, and do you think he would even be a good fit for Doug Armstrong's team? I mean, the, the question right now with Taylor Hall is if, if he's a good fit pretty much anywhere because yeah. this has been, just been such a rotten season for him. And look, uh, you know, I, I like Taylor Hall. Uh, I've been a fan of his for a while. And when you look at some of the underlying numbers, and I know not everyone's into that sort of thing, but if, you're, if you look at some of the analytics and, and some of those numbers, it suggests that Taylor Hall has been better this year than the numbers would indicate. This isn't a guy who's a two-goal scorer as far as how he's performing on the ice. At the end of the day, the numbers are the bottom line, and, and he hasn't produced in Buffalo, but nobody has produced in Buffalo. And, and if anybody would know that you sometimes you pull a guy out of Buffalo, sometimes you get a renewed version of that guy, that would be the St. Louis Blues because they, they made that deal with Ryan O'Reilly a couple of years ago, and it ended up being a turning point for the franchise. Uh, could could, they, could that, that magic strike again uh, with the Buffalo Sabres? I think it's worth a shot. I think this is a guy where the good news as far as his numbers being as poor as they are this year, that's going to mean uh, that he's going to be available at a price that nobody would have expected earlier on. If he was performing like Taylor Hall, then you're looking at a top pick, a top prospect, all sorts of stuff that you're going to have to give up to get a guy like that. He isn't performing that way, which means suddenly the price starts coming down. It could be available. That that could be a really good fit somewhere where he goes and suddenly the bounces start evening out. He gets, he shakes off whatever that bad mojo is that's, that's uh, covering everyone on the Sabres. He could really turn into a big asset and a, and a big ad uh, at the deadline for a team, especially a team like St. Louis where the scoring isn't really there. Does he fit into the lineup? Is he the ideal guy? If you've only got the assets to make one acquisition, is he the guy you want? I'm not necessarily convinced, but I am picking up the phone and I'm calling Kevin Adams in Buffalo saying, well, what's the deal with this guy? What's the asking price looking like? Sean McIndoe of The Athletic joining us here on 101 ESPN. Sean, final question that I've got for you. As much as we talk about what's plaguing the Blues right now and what's gone into some of these struggles, I think the thing that's so frustrating as a Blues fan is you look uh, from the outside and Colorado has figured things out and Vegas is still playing at such an incredibly high level. Are those two teams just so clear-cut, the two best teams in the West Division right now, that even if the Blues do get back on track, it's hard to imagine a scenario where they could take one of them down in the playoffs? You know, it's a really tough path out of that division. I've got both Vegas and Colorado ranked in my top three in my power rankings, and that's my top three picks to go on and win the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, it's a really big ask. Uh, but is it too much of one? No, I don't think it is, and I say that because this is the modern-day NHL. It is all about parity. It is all about teams being real close to each other, and we see upsets every year, and, and we see some big upsets, and we see some medium-sized ones, and every year there's some team that makes its way out into the Final Four where you go, well, I didn't have them on my list, but I, yeah, I guess it makes sense. And if I'm the St. Louis Blues, I'm going, you know what, it's going to be a steep hill. It's going to be a big climb, no doubt. But we won the Stanley Cup two years ago. When we're on our game, we're a real good team, too. we got a room full of guys who have Stanley Cup rings uh, that some of those guys on those other teams don't have. Uh, yeah, let's take our shot. At the very least, we've earned the right to take a shot at those guys. And you know what? If we get beat, we get beat, and we'll tip our cap to them. But I, I don't think that this is a scenario where uh, if you're Doug Armstrong or you're the St. Louis Blues that you're saying, you know what, it's too tough, the path is too tough, this isn't the year to do it, we'll, we'll try again another year. Uh, I think you've got to give these guys the opportunity 
opportunity. And you got to understand that in today's NHL, uh, even the big upsets happen fairly frequently, and, and maybe they're not as big an upset as we think they are. About to hit the best part of the hockey season. It's the stretch run going into the postseason, and none better covering it than uh, Sean McIndoe of The Athletic. He's also the co-host of the Puck Soup podcast with our guy Greg Wyshynski, so make sure you give that a follow. Sean, thank you so much, my man. Appreciate the time and look forward to talking to you once we hit postseason. Right on. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Absolutely. That's Sean McIndoe joining us here on 101 ESPN. So here's a question for you, Alex. We're going to get into some uh, NHL trade deadline tender coming up here in just about 15 minutes. Super swipe T-bone. Would you, in this hypothetical scenario world, would you be interested in trading Mike Hoffman to some team, whoever? Pick a random team that makes sense for him. They give you... Hartford Whalers. Perfect. They give you a second round pick next year. And then you go to Buffalo and you say, we will give you that second round pick for Taylor Hall. Ah, the old, uh, the old dipsy doodle, huh? Would you be interested in something like that? Stay tuned for one thirty when we talk in NHL Tinder. We'll do that coming up here in just about 15 minutes. It's one fifteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, Matt Carpenter's role. Oh, boy, it very well may come down to what you see out of Justin Williams early in the season. We'll talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I think Carr's going to get a pretty hefty amount of playing time over the year, whether people like it or not. And part of that is because he, if you really do believe that he's going to be a contributor, you got to get a, find some ways to get him reps and get him at bats to get to some sort of rhythm or else he's just going to kind of be relegated to a hit every 10 days or something coming off the bench. And you could say that's what you want, but, you know, we got to be some way to get him some kind of rhythm going. We'll play some NHL trade deadline tender coming mm. up here in just about oh. 10 minutes or so. Super that's swipe. Right. Super swipe. That was Zachary Silver who joined us yesterday, the Cardinals beat writer, talking about Matt Carpenter's role going into the year. And guys, this is, I, I know for Cardinals fans, I was reading Derek Gould's chat yesterday. My God, every other question is about Matt Carpenter yeah. right now. It's amazing. And the reason why I find it so fascinating is because he's not going to enter the season as one of your nine or 10 most important position players. I mean, unless other guys fail, Matt Carpenter very likely will not be seeing a majority of the playing time. He's going to be a bench player to start the season. That's the expectation. Now, that's where it gets us to our conversation here, because I do think that Matt Carpenter's role is reliant upon Austin Dean and Justin Williams succeeding in right fields in the first month. Because if those guys get in, we're two weeks in, and they are really struggling out there, both defensively and at the plate, that's when I think you could see Tommy Edmond shifting out to the outfield a little bit more often. You think that before Nagowski gets that shot in right field? I do, because I don't think they see Nagowski as a right fielder, and I do think they see Tyler O'Neill. I disagree with it, I but I think they see Tyler O'Neill as a left fielder. And so if you're looking at O'Neill as a left fielder, Carlson filling in in center, I think what they would do, again, I disagree with this, but 
I think they would put Tommy Edmond in right, and you would see Matt Carpenter getting those opportunities at second base. And so if you don't want to see Matt Carpenter in the lineup, the guys that you should be rooting for early in the season are the ones that are playing in right fields. Those are the ones that need to pick it up. Yeah, I mean, without question, for me, Justin Williams is the first guy. You need to root for this guy to stay consistent, but if not, at least root for him to be good enough to play before Harrison Bader comes back yeah, and to give Lane Thomas some time to get some reps down at the satellite camp and maybe the beginning of Memphis. Like you need a month from Justin Williams to be Jeremy Hazelbaker. And if that doesn't work, then you need that from Austin Dean because otherwise you are going to get to that. And really as much as I defended the fact that Tommy Edmonds not going to play the outfield, it's going to be the last resort. It wouldn't surprise me if we get to that point sometime in the early portion of the season because they're trying out any method that you can. Um, Matt Carpenter's playing time is going to be dictated by that, and he is going to get proper playing time. They're not going to just say, nope, not good, you're just a bench player. He's going to get, at some point this season, you're going to see a stretch of two or three weeks where Matt Carpenter is going to get starting play time, more at-bats than some of these other players. And right now it starts with those two, and then I would throw Lane Thomas and Harrison Bader's name into this. I think the depth chart goes three or four down before you even get to the name Matt Carpenter. I I think you're right, and I, I hope, hope I'm right. <laughs> I, I hope that Cardinals fans understand that that's the way that this is going to go. By the way, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Somebody asks, why not just bring up Lane Thomas in that situation? Maybe they will. I don't think he's going to be your first option, though. Him getting beat out by so many outfielders in spring training, I think, is really telling of where they are with him right now. Because if they were 100% bought in that Lane Thomas was the answer in the outfield, spring training wouldn't have held that much weight. Because it did not matter what Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Yadier Molina, Paul DeYoung, uh, Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson. It didn't matter what any of those guys hit in spring training. They could have had the same spring training as Matt Carpenter, and they would have been starting on opening day. But that was not the case for Lane Thomas. He needed to at least be average to above average, and he wasn't. In fact, he was below average, and that was so bad for them in their minds that it ended up completely costing him his spot on the roster. So I don't think that they are as in on Lane Thomas as we were initially led to believe. So if you had to guess on who's going to get that next opportunity in the outfield, I am pretty convinced at this point that it's going to be Tommy Edmond. I do think it's worth mentioning. Matt Carpenter does deserve a little bit of credit for the way that he is approaching this season. And I know nobody's crying for a guy that's going to make $20 million this season who has struggled the last couple of years, and I get it. But I think this quote from uh, Matt Carpenter to Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch should give you a little bit of warm, fuzzy feelings on the inside. He said, quote, I look at uh, this spring as one of the strangest I've ever gone through. A lot of the work that I did to get my bat speed back, it did end up showing up. I felt that like and my average exit velocity was among the best of my career. But you don't get a medal for exit velo. You need hits. I feel confident I can help this team win games. My job now is as a bench guy, and I need to be ready for that. I'm going to embrace that role, and I'm going to be there for the guys who are playing, and we're going to help have young outfielders who I can help. That is my role going into the season. You don't always get that kind of buy-in from guys like Matt Carpenter. God, no. Who have a storied career in this organization that are legacy players, not according to him, according to the organization. They made that statement whenever they gave him this contract extension. For him to be this willing... 
and this motivated to take on this role is noteworthy and honestly is kind of admirable. And so I'm going to count myself as somebody that's rooting like hell for this guy to succeed this year. I don't know if it's ever going to be back for him. My guess is that it's not. I think it might be over for him as a hitter. But he's going to probably have some big moments this year where he could come up with a massive hit for the Cardinals. And if it goes in his direction, you win the game as a result. I'm rooting for him to succeed in those spots because him taking this role on and accepting it and then really kind of going full bore towards it. I, I respect the hell out of that, man. Have you guys ever seen the movie Mr. 3000 with Bernie Mac? Yeah. I kind of hope that Matt Carpenter's season is that season for him. Now, I know it's different. Obviously, he came out of retirement and was like 40-plus years old. <laughs> but like he, his first at-bat as he was trying to get to, to 3,000 hits was basically a fluttering ground ball, and he slid halfway to first base, and he's safe. Like That was the start of him trending in the right direction, but it was a rallying piece. I hope that's the season for Matt Carpenter. Because this is a stand-up guy, and he's always been this way. I mean, go back to a couple of years ago at winter warm-up when somebody threw the question at him, you know, would you be willing to move your no-trade clause if the Cardinals could get Nolan Arenado? And he said, look, I care about this organization. If they have the ability to get better from my expense, more power to them, and I'd be happy to move that trade piece. You don't get that. Usually you get something like what we're seeing from Todd Frazier right now with Pittsburgh, where if you're not following along, he didn't make the team because of Brian Hayes, who's going to be a stud for them. So he's like, I don't want to play here. Now they re-sign him to a minor league deal, but that's usually what happens. If you're not a player for them, they don't want to be there. Matt Carpenter is embracing the role that he has with this team. And frankly, that's the Cardinal way, man. I mean, people give it crap all the time of the Cardinal way. This is what it's always been. Guys who buy into the team rather than just buy into themselves, which is very respectable here in St. Louis. I agree with that, but I I don't know. I don't buy into the Cardinal way as much. I understand the argument of it, but I I don't know. I don't. It's hard for me to come say something about it because I, I look at Carpenter and I understand what you guys are saying. Yeah, it's the great team motto and all that. And if it helps with my expense, but Carpenter's not just going to call it quits if he's struggling. He's not going to retire and save you the $18 million and save you the pain of it. I mean, Nor should he. Yeah, why no, should he? No. He has to be. Carpenter, if Carpenter struggles, you're going to be put in this bad spot. And that's that's where it's going to become a problem. That's where the cardinal way of the franchise player is going to get in the way of things this season. And that's, I, like, I don't think that's... I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm rooting for Carpenter. Carpenter is a Cardinals Hall of Famer, Cardinal Hall of Fame bound. I... I, I I just think with the way the Cardinal way is portrayed, we saw the Texas Rangers move on from Odor. That's he was not, owed I don't think that's million. what Alex was referencing. Though. No, he was yeah. talking about Matt Carpenter's attitude towards I, I this agree. season. I, I agree. His attitude is what you want to hear from a guy that's going to be on the bench making $18 million and is, what, the third highest paid position player, if I'm not mistaken? Not pitchers. It's the attitude you want to hear, but I, I don't know. I, I just view it as it's kind of what I expect. Maybe that's why I don't view it as much. As we what take we're it for diving into, with him. so I think we expect it because that's St. Louis, right? Like it's very rare to have a player who's played for a St. Louis, whether it be baseball, hockey. Go back at the time with football. It's rare to get somebody who says, "Oh, well, they're not playing me. I want out." Like we're not going through. We're not dealing with Deshaun. We're not dealing with Russell Wilson stuff right, right now. Of uh, you know, uh, they're not doing what I want them to do for me, so I want out. Watson's a little different, but <laughs> Watson's, I'm talking about on the field the sides, stuff. Yeah. Uh, just, just wanted to clarify there. Yeah, I mean, Matt Carpenter, we take it for granted because this is the attitude we expected him to have towards this role. We shouldn't take that for granted. 
because this is not the attitude that a lot of guys that are in his situation that have made their money, that have had success in the past, have towards this kind of a role. I'm not surprised that he's going to play this year. I, I do think it is noteworthy, and it is worth acknowledging that he is accepting of the fact that he's going to be a bench player. There are a lot of guys in baseball. I've seen it over the years. We've all seen it. That would see this kind of a role, and they would say, I'm not a bench bat. I should be starting. And then they have a negative effect in the in the clubhouse as a result, and that is not what you're going to see this year out of Matt Carpenter. There's no doubt about I it. I agree. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's play a game of the NHL trade deadline tender. Would you swipe right or swipe to the left for guys like Taylor Hall, Ryan, Alex Goligowski? We'll get some opinions on that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of NHL trade deadline tender. So the way this works, if you're on tender, from what I understand, again, I haven't dated since my freshman year of college, but from what I understand, you get on there, you see somebody's picture, you swipe right if you like what you see, you swipe left if you don't like it. Or Tanner. Or- Super swipe. Tanner, can you confirm that that's how Tinder works? I won't confirm nor deny. Okay, we know you're on Tinder. You can confirm. So that's how it works. If you like it, you swipe to the right. If you dislike it, you swipe to the left. Or you can super swipe it if you really, really like what you see. Give me that super swipe, T-Bone. Super swipe. So I'm going to give you a few candidates. I'll give you a little bit of a player profile, kind of what we're looking at here for some of the top contenders, if you will. See what I did there for the blues at the trade deadline as we're playing an HL trade deadline tender. All right. The guy that everybody's bringing up right now, the bell of the ball is Taylor Hall. He is on a one year, $7 million deal with the Buffalo Sabres. They stink. He hasn't been great. He has two goals on the season. That's not what they paid him to do. He's basically their version of Mike Hoffman. They're going to want to get out of this. They are awful. The worst team in the league right now. (laughs) Alex, are you swiping right or left on Taylor Hall, former MVP, to be traded to the Blues? Swipe right for decline? If you like it, if you like it, you swipe to the right. If you dislike it, you swipe to the left. I'm swiping right because I would take a a shot at this. I really would. And I, I... I shot this down a couple of days ago, but the more we've talked with people, and now that we spoke with Sean McIndoe earlier today, I take a chance on it. It's a left winger, which you really need right now because Mike Hoffman nor Jordan Cairo can play the left wing. Zach Sanford's playing time right there. He's not going to cost you as much as you think because I don't know if there's going to be a lot of teams bidding for Taylor Hall because of the issues he's going with right now. You're taking a risk. But every time Doug Armstrong has taken a risk on a guy paid off so i would take a chance with this i I would i'd have to see what the proposal is because i'm not giving up a first round pick and i'm not giving up somebody who's going to benefit me down the road but i would take a chance so i would swipe right on taylor hall i'm swiping left i i want a defenseman the blues i understand the idea of experimenting with it but i i think there is something to be said of what is it every team he's been on has had a number one pick or something along those lines. So I'm going to swipe left. I think the Blues forwards have to step it up. I don't think you need to go acquire someone to be a scorer. I think there's plenty of scoring depth on this team. 
it is pretty remarkable. He like if you look at the underlying metrics for when he's been on the ice, he's been their second best player and it's not close. Like the second best guy after Jack Eichel mm-hmm. is very clearly Taylor Hall. I think I'm his team needs. I don't think Taylor Hall changes what the Blues are missing. <clears throat> I does he help you score maybe, but he hasn't helped the Buffalo Sabres score. So well, uh, nobody can help. Like Wayne Gretzky fair, might not could. be able to help the, the Buffalo Sabres score. Touche. Moral of the story. I don't think he solves their issue. I'm swiping to the left on Taylor Hall. Next one up is a guy that we talked about all offseason long. He is 34 years old. His name is Bobby Ryan. He's 6'2", 210 pounds, and he has a one-year, $1 million deal this year with the Detroit Red Wings. So far on the season, seven, seven goals, seven assists, 14 points on the year. Alex, are you swiping right or left on Bobby Ryan at the trade deadline? I'm swiping left on Bobby Ryan because he, as we just spoke about Taylor Hall, or you guys did, is the same player that you have on your roster right now. He's a right winger, 34 years old. He's essentially going to be playing in a third line role. I think he likes playing offhand, so could play left. Does that change your opinion at all? No. Okay. (laughs) He's also got... Seven goals in 33 games for the Detroit Red Wings, a team that Robbie Fabry has scored more goals than. I just don't see it. If if you guys feel Taylor Hall isn't a match for this team, I don't think Bobby Ryan is a match for this team. He's not going to bring that scoring punch that you're hoping for. Mike Hoffman's a better scorer than Bobby Ryan. Um, so, no, I, I'm swiping left on this. I don't think he he answers your problems right now. I'm with you. Swipe left. I don't think he solves the problem. And like you mentioned, if you don't, if, if we're not in on Taylor Hall, we're not going to be on him. And like you said, Robbie Fabry scored more goals than him. So there you go. I'm much more likely to be in on Bobby Ryan. I think I, I will tentatively swipe to the right on Bobby Ryan as opposed to Taylor Hall. I think he gives you a little more for what you need there on that third, third line left wing. I don't th- what? <laughs> just Ferrario's facial expression. I, I think I think he helps. I don't think Taylor Hall fixes any of the Blues issues. Bobby Ryan might bring you a little bit more. And honestly, it might just be something where you mix things up a little bit. You bring in a different personality. Maybe he clicks well. He meshes well with the group. It's in play that that would be something that helps them kind of unlock things here. So yeah. Bobby Ryan for $1 million, it's basically a no-risk proposition. I don't think the asking price is going to be very high. I might swipe right on him. I, I'll go ahead and swipe right, but it's not a super swipe by any stretch. Next one up, another guy that we talked about all offseason. How about Kyle Palmieri? He's a right winger as well. He's 5'11", a buck 85 so far this season with New Jersey. Seven goals, nine assists, 16 points on the year. He's in the final year of his contract, Alex. He's owed $4.2 million this year, so it's not nothing would you be swiping right or left on Kyle Palmieri at the deadline? Good old Italian boy, eh? That's Good old right. Kyle Palmieri. I would swipe right on this um, because he plays a little bit more similar style to Craig Bruby. If you remember correctly, for listeners remember too, he played for the Anaheim Ducks at the beginning of his career. So he's familiar with the Western Conference. Now he spent the last six seasons in New Jersey, which is kind of a ish show in itself. But I, I think he matches this team. Here's the one problem. So if, as you did this, the previous one with Bobby Ryan, I would tentatively swipe right because he's going to be a bidding war. He's not a liability like Taylor Hall is. He's a guy who can score consistently 25 goals a season. A bidding war means you're going to have to pay a, a hefty price for him. And I don't think you're going to be able to keep him as an unrestricted free agent. 
So I would swipe right if you can get a hell of a deal for this, but I'm tentatively swiping right on on Kyle Palmieri. I'm swiping left. I I agree, and my swipe left is kind of hesitant on that. But if he's not, if you don't think you're going to bring him back next year, and he's going to have a bidding war for him, I don't think he benefits the Blues. I think if the Blues are going to make a move, it's going to be for someone that's here for maybe two years, maybe three. So I'm going to swipe left. I'm going to swipe left as well. The other thing you've got to keep in mind here is the money. $4.2 million. Are the Blues going to be able to find that in their cap? Trade Mike Hoffman for him. Maybe. Maybe you trade Hoffman and you add in a draft pick to kind of sweeten the say, deal By the way, him. New Jersey won't do that, but go on. They might. You know, if you're New Jersey and you, you've got nothing to lose, if it sweetens the pot. I think you got I think you would have to add Vince Dunn to that deal for New Jersey. Or a first-round pick. You know, whatever it ends up being. The, the asset that you want, you would attach that to Mike Hoffman to make things work monetarily. Yeah. And I'm just... I don't know that Kyle Palmieri really changes things enough for me to be able to do that, so I'll swipe left on him. Yeah. Keeping things going, a couple more here. Alex Goligowski, a guy that we have seen too much of, frankly, this <laughs> season. Now, he is a left-handed defenseman. He is not tall. He's 5'11", a buck 85. Again, we have seen this man. He's not somebody that's a points producer. He is a true defensive defenseman. Would you swipe right or left on Alex Goligowski final year of his five and a half million dollar per year deal, Alex? I'd swipe right on him. Um, I know he's small. I know he's very similar to what you have, but Alex Goligowski is a feisty dude in front of the net. Like We've he is that. he is not afraid to throw his body around. He's not afraid to throw guys down on the ice if they need to. My hesitation with it is he's 35 years old. You're kind of diving into the territory of Carl Gunnarsson. He's had injury history in the past, but this dude is straight Western Conference hockey. Dallas Stars, Arizona Coyotes. Um, I'd take a chance on a guy like Alex Goligowski for this season because I think he answers some of the questions that the Blues have in terms of just a gritty dude in front of the own, his own net. I'm going to swipe left. Dude, have you swiped right <laughs> once? No. you got to find the perfect perfect fish out there in the ocean if, well, I'm, if i remember correctly in baseball offseason this dude oh super swiped gosh. like yeah. on seven people yeah well, well it was all pitchers which yeah, looking back all, makes all, a lot yeah. of sense so, thank okay. you okay yeah i'm gonna swipe left i want again this is another one where it'd be kind of a hesitant swipe left i just think small left-handed defenseman i want a bigger body so i'm gonna say swipe left you're gonna swipe left it's okay I think I'm going to swipe right on Alex Golgowski, actually. I think he kind of helps you more than some of the other guys we're talking about. You need somebody that is physical. And whether that comes in a five foot nine package or a six foot seven package, I don't care at this point. Just give me somebody that is willing to stand up in front of the net and push the opposing team out of the way. Yeah. Goligowski gives you a little bit of that. He's got some thump in him. So mm. I'll go ahead and swipe to the right on Goligowski. Let's do one more here. This is somebody that a friend of mine mentioned to me the other day. Ricard Raquel. Swipe to the right or swipe to the left on a right winger who makes $3.8 million per year. He's got two years left on his deal. He plays for the Anaheim Ducks. We've seen him here in St. Louis. Now, here's the problem. He's hurt right now. He's got a head injury. Yeah, he got hurt from the Blues game. We saw it. <laughs> oh, we um, yeah, we did that to him. Oh. Yeah, so uh, that that's something you got to keep in mind. If he's healthy, if he can play, swipe right or left on Ricard Raquel helping out the St. Louis Blues and coming here. 
I'd swipe at the deadline. I'd swipe right on this because he can play the left wing too. He can play the left wing. A uh, guy who has scored 30 goals twice for the Anaheim Ducks. He's also been a uh, double-digit goal scorer a few times. I'd swipe right on a uh, Ricard Raquel because I think he could help that offense. Um, you'd have to offset some money, but I think it's possible with the team. I'm going to swipe left again because that seems to be my theme today. So <laughs> Seriously, I'm you are the worst. Tanner hates everybody. I don't think we need a forward. I think we need a defenseman. So I'm just going to say it's swipe left. I gave left. you defensemen. We gave you two I know, of them. I, I wasn't happy with those <laughs> what two. What did I walk in on here today? Well, we're playing uh, NHL trade <laughs> deadline tender. Tanner's afraid to swipe right. And I don't know which one's good, right, right or left. Good. To the right if you like it, left if you left don't. If you don't. And okay. super swipe if you really enjoy How it. How do you super swipe? <laughs> With two fingers? Yeah. I, well, oh, yeah. two fingers up, is always the way to go. Or three, but sometimes that's too I've much. I've never tried. You don't want to do that. How, do you, how would you get a hold of that? Well, that's the problem. Yeah. Is, yeah, you have a hard time. Okay. It. That makes sense. So, so who, who are we swiping you, on? Here's my question for you. We'll go ahead and give Jamie the final word on yeah, all of these, guys. Oh, boy. Okay. Tell me if you would swipe right so this means you like him on any of these guys. We'll go rapid fire style with okay. Jamie Rivers. Taylor Hall. Oh, super swipe right. Really? Yes. You're in. Right means you want Oh, him. wait, no. Super swipe. Left is the other way. <laughs> yeah. Left is bad. Right is good. I don't want that guy anywhere near my hockey club. Bobby Ryan. I like Bobby Ryan. I don't see what he brings to the table for this Blues team. They already have Bobby Ryan. So that's a left. That's Kyle Palmieri. Uh, swipe left. Wow. Alex Goligowski. Uh, what do you do if Getting you're closer? What if you do if you're like in the middle and you're not sure? You just keep going back on it. You just you, you okay, sit I'll there. Swipe right for you sit now. there and you stare yeah, at the profile. Yeah, maybe there's a first date, but not a second. You, date. you, you, you slide into the DMs, Jamie. You say, you hey, what, you can't what goes do that on until here? you swipe. Oh, okay. From what well, I understand, on Alex Galagoski, I'll swipe right for now. Jason Demers, uh, swipe left. Okay, Weak. and the final one, uh, Raquel. Uh, Ricard Raquel. I'd swipe left again. Okay. So we we added nobody oh, to the St. Rose. Yeah, well, the problem is the guys that you're talking about, I feel like we already currently have them on the blues. Who like, would you swipe right on? So, well, I mean, I'd have to dive into contracts because, unfortunately, that's what happens. Now, you have to look around the league with a guy that's either expiring or has one more year after this year yeah. that you could get because some teams will walk away from that with the salary cap staying flat. Uh, when I look at the guys you just brought up, those are good, good choices. They are, but you have a Kyle Palmieri. You do. You have a. It's a Tyler Bozak. I mean, that's what you've got. And Ricard Raquel, like he's kind of a, kind of a, a Zach Sanford esque type player. So what are you like? What are you really adding mm-hmm. to your yeah, team? Yeah, but see, Jamie, I haven't seen these guys fail in St. Louis yet. <laughs> well, that's right. And Taylor Hall, guys, I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm not going on that ride. He costs a lot of money. He's a bit of a prima donna. Heck, you watched the game last night, and his back check was so awful in the game. In overtime, he could have prevented the goal. He stopped his feet from moving. That tells me a lot about a guy, especially on a team that's lost 17 in a row. You yeah. don't dive on that play. You don't show. Like, no, nah, I don't need. I don't think I need that here. Well, they pan- they had a panic attack when they were up by three. Didn't yeah. you hear them say after the game? They had a panic attack when they were up by three. So it's always positive coming from your locker room. 65780 <laughs> is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. BK, you're an idiot. None of these players fit. Well, here's the problem. I took these players from lists of guys that could be available at the deadline. Yeah, so technically the NHL experts the are idiots. The problem is the Blues don't have a whole lot of options out there. We're going to talk about a few of them, though, coming up next as we cross things over with the fast lane and Jamie Rivers here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. 
Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. For the crossover, so this is going to be brief. Whoa, fast lane's coming up next. Jamie's, what, what's coming up today on tidies? the fast lane, my man? Oh, well, I'll tell you what, we've got a lot coming on. We got the incredible Joey Vitale coming on today. Joey, you know, that's always Joey. going to be interesting. Not sure what we're going to get out of him, but it will be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working on uh, Jimmy Ball game. He's uh, he's been in contact with us, but at this point, right now, we're playing Marco Polo with okay. him, and he hasn't answered. Great game. Uh, yeah, but we're going to talk about the Cardinals opening day. We're going to talk Blues. We're not going to swipe left or swipe right but we are going to talk about some blues and what needs to happen for them to have some success leading up to the trade deadline and what they might do in and around there and i always swipe right on listening to the fast lane so i'll be doing that Super from two to swipe. six we'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 espn mm. you've been listening to the bk and ferrario podcast powered by i promise